Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, shuffle my stuff around here. Greetings from the uh, uh, from the Gulf Coast of Florida, and so this is not the part that was affected by Hurricane Ian. So I have a lot of friends out there that are that are curious and they're sort of wondering, "Are you okay?" Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, hurricanes are kind of weird. It's sort of it's, it's like tornadoes. They have a, a path of destruction, and then once you're you're outside that, you're okay. Hurricanes are, can be. I mean, uh, hurricanes can be you know many miles wide. Uh, many miles, like 30, 40, 50 miles wide. But uh, uh, once you're outside that, you know, if you're 100 miles away, you're probably just going to get rain. Uh, and so it's very interesting how this works. Tornadoes can be a couple hundred yards wide, you know, and uh, beyond that, you're okay. But if you're in the path, then, you know, it's, it's total destruction. So it's, it's kind of weird how these natural phenomena work. But I'm fine. Uh, the folks down in Fort Myers and Annabelle Island and some of the other places, there's, that's where all the work is being done to help them out. So uh, there we go. But it's interesting that, Immediately after Hurricane Ian, um, you know, we've talked about this on the show, that hurricanes are a heat exchange. Hurricanes take heat from the equator and disperse it into the north. So the excess heat of the equator and the excess cold, you know, at the poles, the, the way the earth kind of balances and redistributes the temperature is with hurricanes. And that's in the northern hemisphere and cyclones in the southern hemisphere. I think the only reason they have um, two different names is because they rotate in opposite directions. So cyclones actually go in cyclonic movement. And hurricanes go in, in anti-cyclonic movement. And so how that was figured out, I have no idea. But anyway, it, it was fascinating to me that it got immediately cooler and we went into a fall weather cycle pretty much after Ian within like a day or two. <laughs> so it worked. You know, it was a horrible hurricane, massive destruction. A hundred plus people died. Um, but it's interesting, but that nature took all that heat from the equator in Hurricane Ian and moved it north. And then we went into fall weather. Now, you want to say, is that a coincidence or was that going to happen anyway? I don't know. All I know is, you know, one happened, then the other happened. So they're sequential, but are they causal? (laughs) That's always a debate. But uh, for those that watch the weather, I mean, I don't see anything else on the horizon. We're still technically in hurricane season until November 1st. Not that nature's on on that timetable, but it is interesting um, how these things work. In fact, that was the only major storm uh, of the whole year. Was, and it was huge, one of the biggest ones ever. So you know, it's, it's better, you know, nature, if I could, if I could uh, make a suggestion, you know, a lot of little tropical storms are a whole lot better, you know, than one big hurricane. Uh, but that's not how it works. And we've had, uh, we've had rain all summer. I mean, it's one of the rainiest summers I've ever seen. It's also one of the cooler summers. I mean, it never got that hot, which is kind of interesting, which means there wasn't as much heat to transfer. But when time came to transfer it, Hurricane Ian uh, was the one that did it. Um, a lot of stuff going on. Thursday, the, Thursdays are completely open now. It's really strange, <laughs> you know. We uh, once that world's uh, our world's greatest, you know, it's this big void in the show, and it's kind of weird. I'm still kind of getting used to it. We have new reports uh, coming on. Um, maybe some older folks who've been on the show coming back. Uh, some new reporters coming on. There's some massive changes going on at Action Radio right now. Still, the basic format still the same. We are still the citizen legislature. We still write legislation at writeyourlaws.com. We talk about the issues here. And then a lot of the work that you don't hear on the show is actually done off the air at writeyourlaws.com, where we're uh, you know, sending our bills out to legislators, out to uh, media, uh, out to all kinds of folks. And so that goes on. That's going to keep going on. And so guests that come on the show uh, either are just interesting to me or have some relationship to our legislation or ideally both. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it works. So I've got three hours, except for the start of the second hour, where we have a very, 
very special guest. And uh, that is uh, State Senator Wendy Rogers um, of Arizona. You know, one of my heroes, uh, someone who's unabashedly, unapologetically America first and uh, endorsed by Donald Trump. And so uh, we're going to get her uh, on the show here, which is great. And so it's going to be fascinating to, to uh, you know, it's, it's nice when I get a chance to talk to, you know, someone that I really respect. And, uh, you know, just, let's see what's going on. We'll find out what's happening in Arizona. There's tons of things. Uh, I guess uh, probably the biggest is the Cary Lake, uh, Katie Hobbs governor's race, plus other things that are happening. And Arizona is kind of a, a leading premier state for, for innovation uh, and America firsting. And is, is that a word? <laughs> you know, and things like that that are going on. So we'll see what happens. And uh, so Senator Rogers will join us in the third hour. And that's why I scheduled the show later today, because that'll be 11 o'clock Central Time. So normally the show, uh, for those of you, you know, who can convert to Central Time, normally we start at 7 a.m., which is 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. Now, when you have guests you know, on the West Coast, you know, Arizona, Nevada, um, you know, California, Oregon, Washington, places like that, um, it's early for them. And so what I've decided to do is to change the start times of the show to accommodate folks on the, on the West Coast. And that's how we do it. Now, of course, all our shows are podcasts, and anybody can check in from any place, any time zone, anywhere in the world, anytime they want, and that's what a lot of folks do. Um, in fact, I think most people still listen on the podcast, which is fine because, you know, the time zones being what they are. Um, but uh, if you want to catch the show live, then that's generally when I do it. But I've also found that in order to get some of the best guests, guests you know, from the West Coast, the way to do that is to start the show later. And that way we give them a chance to, to get going. That's why we used to start the World's Greatest Doctors panel at, um, at 10 a.m. And so that was, that was like 7, uh, was it 10? It was 8 a.m. on the West Coast. So we're going to start at 11 here. is 9 a.m. Uh, Arizona time for uh, Senator Rogers. And so probably not taking calls. She's only with us for maybe 20 to 30 minutes and has, has limited time because she's busy. And so the busy folks don't have as much time. And so I'll probably, if you want to, if you want to ask a question, I'll put it in our live chat. It's probably the best way to do that. And so I'm just going to primarily, you know, let her tell us the story uh, of what's going on in Arizona. I get the latest news. I do want to ask her about uh, the consumer price index. In fact, I want to talk about that now for a little bit. So again, I got a lot of time. Uh, at some point when I get tired of talking, uh, I'll probably play one of her WEBY interviews, unless you folks want to join me at 215-383-3832, in which case feel free um, to do that also. Pretty much anything's open now. Thursdays, I have to restructure Thursdays. I want to get at least one, uh, hopefully two regular reports. I just like to have one hour where I can present whatever's going on. So I have one hour for the news, two hours of reports, and that just pretty much that's, does a typical day here. Unless we have half-hour reports, in which case, like Friday, I have, like, let me have one, two, three. <laughs> yeah. I have four reports on, on Friday, but three of them are only half-hour. Uh, and so it makes it a little different. Yeah, one, two, three, yeah, four. Anyway, um, the inflation rate's gone up, and they're reporting it as 8.2%, and that's over the last year. But that's not when inflation started rising. Inflation started rising two years ago. It started rising with uh, Brandon, you know, taking over the White House in January of 2020, uh, 21, excuse me, 2021. So that'd be 2022. So it's like a year and a half. Okay. So uh, 8.2% since this time last year. Well, this time last year, inflation was already, already, was already roaring, you know, because of the, the increase in spending. Increase in spending, increase in borrowing, increase in printing of money is what caused all this mess. And so that's what happened, and that's what's going on now. So when they report things last year, I think a lot of the Bureau of Labor and Statistics is geared for that, that 12-month period because that's what all the news people seem to be reporting. And so that makes sense to me why they do that. But that's not the whole story. So if you wanted to talk about the price of gasoline, you don't talk about the price of gas a year ago. You talk about the price of gas during the Trump administration. So during the Trump administration, it was about $1.85 on average was, was the low. 
during uh, the, the Brandon time, it's a whole lot different. You know, we're talking now, I guess, 350, but it's going to be heading up, you know, because although Brandon's still releasing um, a million barrels a day from our, you know, taxpayer paid for strategic petroleum reserve for his, you know, campaign, um, the Saudis have cut back 2 million barrels. So, you know, 1 million minus 2 million is still minus 1 million. So we're still a million barrels a day down in the world market. And still they refuse to release our own oil. You know, it's like, and I've said this before, and I can't understand it, you know, that uh, oil is not bad to the left. American oil is bad. You know, American oil producers are bad. American gasoline cars are bad. But jets internationally are fine. You know, oil that comes from Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or, or Kuwait or anywhere that oil comes from is fine, as long as it doesn't come from us. It's fascinating. Pipelines are okay around the world, unless they want to destroy it, like I believe they did with uh, um, the Nord Stream uh, pipeline. But our pipelines are bad. <laughs> so this, isn't, uh, this is like an America last program. So contrast that with uh, uh, Wendy Rogers, who talks about America first, and Donald Trump, who talks about America first. And these guys are basically America last. It's not energy they object to because they use energy all the time. You know, it's not oil that they object to. They use oil all the time and gasoline. Uh, it's not electricity they object to because they, they make that from, you know, fossil electricity. You know, they make it from organic fuels. So new terminology for you. So organic fuel is what they used to call fossil fuels. I call it organic because it comes from the earth. It's natural. So oil, coal, natural gas, and uranium are the organic fuels. Okay. Uh, what I'm now calling fossil electricity so they talk about green energy. Fossil electricity is electricity that's made from what they call fossil fuels. Okay? So that's, that's my little terminology in sort of my own derogatory little way of saying, okay, you hypocrites, you, know, you say you have to drive an electric car, but you're powering it on fossil fuel electricity. Maybe you should say fossil fuel electricity. No, I like fossil electricity. It makes it seem uh, ancient and archaic. Uh, and this is interesting. Now, so I posted something on Facebook last night. It, just, it was late. I was tired probably when I do my best thinking <laughs> when I'm not thinking about thinking. Um, and I asked that, that uh, should electric cars be only classified as green energy if they're charged by solar and wind? So in other words, you can't plug an electric car into your house, you know, because that's fossil electricity, <laughs> you know, so you can't power, you can't have a green car if it's being powered by fossil electricity or fossil fuel electricity, right? Does that make sense? And it's like, well, why can't you charge it in your home? That's illegal. Oh, wait a minute. I can't, I can't go, I can't keep a petroleum storage tank in my home or it's impractical. I don't know anybody that does unless you're on a farm. We all buy our gasoline at the gasoline station. Okay. So why can't you buy your electricity for your electric car at the wind and solar electric power generator? I mean, why not? It's green energy, right? So let's, let's make it green. So in other words, if an electric car is powered by fossil electricity, as opposed to green electricity, wind and solar, then it's not, it's not green energy. It sh they shouldn't get a tax deduction. They shouldn't get a subsidy. They shouldn't get anything because you're powering it with fossil electricity. The same fuel that powers gasoline cars is making the electricity for your electric car. So they're still powered by fossil fuels. Now, we've talked about this before, but we re really haven't put this into concrete action. So this is what I'm doing now, right? This is what I'm thinking. I said, wait a minute, so should we get a bill? Now, Amber Kemper, our Constitution reporter, is working on an electric car tax bill, trying to get a car uh, electric tax that is equivalent to the gasoline tax per gallon. So this would be a per volt or something like that. Um, but why wouldn't we add that tax that if we had electric power car generating stations powered by wind and solar, we could meter them and we could figure the tax, the electric car tax, the mileage tax into 
the electric, the uh, solar or wind power charger. Why not, right? So this is what I'm thinking. <laughs> so this is hysterical. So the reason that electric cars, people are buying them is because they're subsidized, because the charging stations are paid for by taxpayer dollars, because a lot of corporations who are woke, in other words, joke, um, you know, you go out to Silicon Valley. You know, you, if you work for Facebook or Google or uh, any of those big companies that run Silicon Valley, the, the social media and the, high, and the big tech folks, they all, their entire parking lots have plugs on them for electric cars. You know, in fact, you can't show up without an electric car. They shame you because they know what's right and, you know, they will tell you. <laughs> so you want to talk about, uh, yeah, the left brings freedom, the freedom to buy an electric car. <laughs> you know, the only choice is which one, right? And so it'd be interesting if the corporation should have to have a, a tax a power tax on their, uh, you know, on the chargers, or should they have um, a fossil fuel tax? So, in other words, if they're getting electricity from here's another, one. I got to add this to my uh, uh, my, my collection of, of things here. So, in other words, if you're if you're using electricity made from fossil fuel, should you have a fossil fuel tax if supposedly for your green electric car? Fossil fuel. This is so much fun. Electric car tax. This is my playroom. This is where I have fun. Electric car tax. So you should see my notebook. I, I just started another one um, a few weeks ago. I go through several. I have a stack of notebooks, you know, from the last, uh, you know, from the last four years that I've been doing Blog Talk Radio. So I say one, two, three, four, six. <laughs> my sixth, you know, three, five subject spiral notebook. You know, I, I take about two or three pages per show. And, of course, the question is going back and reading them. So I want you to think about that for a bit. Should we have a situation where um, electric cars either must charge at a station or there must be a separate metering system for the home? So let's put a separate home meter. Separate home meter for the electric car. Meter for electric car charging. I wish I could write faster. I wouldn't have uh, the dead airtime electric car charging. Anybody else has any ideas, you know, call me up. Charging. Or post it to uh, our comment section, the live chat comment section. You can do that, too. Do that anytime. A lot of folks, it's, it's hard to call in because you're busy doing stuff. You're in your car. Well, in your car, it's kind of hard to text in, too. But it's basically like texting in. So, anyway, that's how that works. All right. So, that's what I had on that. We've got inflation. We've got the car tax. We've got um, fossil electricity. Um, I got a big article I want to go through, and that's what's going to take up most of our time. But while I'm at it, we're just sort of uh, rambling here. Again, the, the whole show, except for about half an hour, <laughs> is open. So it's going to be a very open day. And again, hopefully by next week, I'll have at least one report, and we'll sort of fill things in uh, as we go and, and rebuild. Because the, the World's Greatest Doctors panel, which took up all of Thursday, uh, those folks have gone into other things. Uh, Captain Tom Stewart and our, our wellness women uh, have gone on. Uh, for other things and shows, so that leaves a big gap Wednesday. Tuesday, at least we have one new reporter, and that's Juliet Ramos, you know, with Work for Other Juliet. <laughs> but they are before that's open. And Mondays, we're still, uh, we've got um, Heather Strickland uh, has her book, Rebel Keto, which came out a couple days ago. And so once the book opening or releases is under control, uh, she'll be joining us too. So Mondays are pretty full. Fridays are very, you know, are completely full too. Fridays are full. Uh, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So Thursday is completely open. Wednesday, I have two hours open, and it uh, looks like Tuesday, I have one hour open. And so uh, we're pretty open. Lots of time. Lots of time for new reports, new ideas, and things like that. Okay. So the last of my opening comments uh, is Tulsi Gabbard. And I'm thinking to myself, why did she take so long? I don't see how she was ever a Democrat. 
And I've had people say, well, she's liberal. She's liberal on abortion. She's liberal on social spending. She's liberal, liberal, liberal. I haven't heard it. So maybe she is, but I haven't heard her talk on those issues. What I hear her speak about is America first, you know, a God and country and family, you know, the big three. And I don't hear that coming from a lot of folks in, in, uh, in politics right now, but I do hear it from her. And so, you know, she reminds me a bit of, of Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. I'm wondering when they're going to, you know, skip too. But what's interesting is she's not in office, so it's, it's a different thing. And rumor was she wasn't going to, you know, join the Republicans right away. She was going to possibly remain independent, but she's already campaigning for a Republican. So if you're campaigning for a Republican the day after you, you leave the Democrat Party, then this has definitely been in the thought process for a while, and obviously uh, she's been talking to, to some folks ahead of time. But how do you support the Democrats these days, unless you're an avowed Marxist, unless you, you really want to destroy this country because nothing they're doing is helping? And there's no way that people would vote for this. You know, if, if they campaign on what they're actually doing, and they pretty much did. They said they were going to raise, you know, the, the, the cost of energy so we convert to the this, this so-called green energy, which is, which is not green at all. It's dangerous uh, because it's not, it's not reliable. Uh, and that's part of what we're going to talk about, you know. Even though Arizona, when I get Senator Rogers on, is a very sunny state, uh, there's not enough sunshine, you know, to do these things. And quite frankly, there's nothing wrong with oil, coal, and natural gas. These are organic fuels. They replace carbon. Carbon in the atmosphere makes carbon dioxide, which makes plant food, which makes plants grow. I mean, there's some, a lot of evidence that, in fact, I've added some articles in the works here, that uh, the carbon cycle, the carbon dioxide increase, is really providing some huge benefits. So that's a good thing. So Tulsi Gabbard, you know, she was on Joe Rogan yesterday. Maybe she'll come on our show. Uh, it, it's just I'm curious, you know, who else is going to defect? Um, are they ever going to break the power uh, of the speaker? Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. After Speaker Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, uh, leaves, you know, assuming that the Republicans win uh, both the House and the Senate in the midterms, you're going to have Mitch McConnell in the Senate and Kevin McCarthy in the House. So the question is, how many Democrats, you know, because they are they going to stick together as a unit, even though they're going to lose the votes because they don't have a majority, or are some Democrats going to feel free to vote either the way the Democrat Party wants or the way the Republican Party wants or a third way, the way nobody wants? <laughs> you know, uh, that's going to be interesting to see. I don't have a lot of faith in the GOP right now because they haven't shown me anything that would lead me to believe they actually are interested in leading. I think they're interested in winning, but I don't, I don't think they're interested in leading. Okay, Greg, what's the difference? Well, the difference is if they were interested in leading long ago, they would have been at the D.C. jail, the gulag, with writs of habeas corpus and gotten all the political prisoners out. If they were interested in leading, they'd be coming coming up with all kinds of ways to have these illegal aliens self-deport from the county, cities, and states. Okay? Now, the feds, you know, clamp down on federal activity, deportations, ICE, Border Patrol, things like that. But they can't clamp down on the states, and they can't clamp down on the counties and the cities and the local governments. You know, especially when you think of illegal aliens, once they're in the country, you know, they have no, well, first of all, they had no immigration status anyway because they're illegal aliens. So the feds claim anything to do with immigration has to go to the feds. Well, that's not true. What goes to the feds are uniform rules of naturalization. That's what it says in the Constitution. Well, what's that? Well, that, that's naturalization is when you transfer from uh, your previous citizenship, you, you know, the citizenship you were born with, to become an American citizen. And, and you, uh, you know, revoke your previous citizenship and you become American only. Although a lot of countries like Canada, where I'm a citizen, still recognize Canadian citizenship. So it's kind of weird. So Canada thinks I'm Canadian and American. The United States thinks I'm American and that's it. 
And okay, you know, you governments can talk to each other. You guys figure it out. I'm I'm just happy where I am. All right. So anyway, so the illegal alien crosses into the country, and they are still citizens of another country. Okay, which means they're subject to the jurisdiction of another another country because they have no right to be here. So they have no rights here. They have no ability to stay here because they're not here legally. They're not here. They're not immigrants. They have no status. They have no rights, and therefore it's time for them to go. So the question is, what are the states and local governments going to do about this? And this is where I came up with asset forfeiture uh, as a way to confiscate uh, the, uh, the, the property of illegal aliens so there's absolutely no ability to stay here. So they go. So the federal government's going to scream and yell, and they're going to say immigration. Immigration is ours, you know, and it's not. Uh, it's only uniform rules of naturalization. Uh, and again, if we start considering illegal aliens as criminals and not immigrants, this is, this is why the left blurs that distinction. So once an illegal alien is in the United States, they're, they're not, uh, their status is criminal because they're here, right? They've already broken the law crossing the border. So that, that event is over. <laughs> now they're breaking the law by staying in the country, and that is, that is a criminal act within the United States subject to asset forfeiture, deportation, and everything else. And so that's one of the, the many ways to handle it. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what goes on with that. That's, you know, to me, um, the, the, the proper way to do it is to make it impossible for them to live here, and so they leave. I'd be interested to see what this country looks like, you know, when we are free of illegal aliens, because we have a right to a country without illegals in it. Should be interesting. So all those things are going through my mind. All these things are happening. And uh, I'm curious how Tulsi is going to do what she's going to do and how, how the Democrats are going to do what they're going to do and how the Republicans are going to either win or lead. You know, there are a lot of things that they could uh, lead on. You know, they could lead on overturning uh, Brandon's uh, banning of, uh, of the Keystone Pipeline and reinstate it. Now, that would take a two-thirds vote, but how many Democrats would do that, knowing that 2024 is coming up? That's just a thought. So let's see. You know, if you have a question on that, are they going to lead, or are they going to just win and then sit back and do nothing, and then say, oh, we won, yay, but we can't do anything because Brandon's in the White House, and he's going to veto everything we do, so there's no point in doing anything. That's what I think is going to happen. Okay, that's my prediction. My prediction is the, Democrats, the Republicans are going to do everything they can to win, you know, next month. They're going to win the House. They're going to win the Senate. And then they're probably going to do nothing, and they're going to say, well, we won. Yay, congratulations to us. Pat themselves on the back for a couple of days. And then when the first issue of any kind of controversy comes up, they're going to say, well, I'm sorry, we, we, we can't do anything. You know, we need the White House you know, before we can do anything because you know, Brandon's going to veto anything we do. So there's no point in doing anything. That's what they said with Obamacare. You know, they, they, they ended Obamacare by vote until they could actually end Obamacare by vote, you know, until, they actually, until Trump was in office. Then they stopped ending Obamacare by vote, and they did nothing. So they'll never vote, this is, and this is the problem with the Republicans, you know, when Trump comes back in 2024. You know, there will do nothing to help him, I believe. The leadership won't, the, the rank and file, as they say, might, but that remains to be seen. Anyway, I've got a fascinating article on, on the restoration of America from, the, um, from the, the, the Washington Examiner, which is a source I should check more often. It's a big editorial from the, um, from the editor. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to go over that in a little bit, and then I'll probably play... Uh, one of my interviews from WEBY, one of my classics. I've got one I don't think I played from Megan Barth uh, from March 15th of, of 2017. It's one of my first, that was actually one of my first two weeks in, uh, in full-time radio. So I, because I started March 1st of 2017, this is March 15th. So that would have been exactly two weeks uh, after I started in radio full-time. So that was interesting. Now what she talks about is the ITIN, the Individual Tax Identification Number, uh, as a way to track illegals and uh, tax them you know, to the point where it's impossible to live here. That's what I'm hoping. Anyway, I'll get to that, and then we'll have some time. Then we'll get to Senator Rogers, and whatever time we have after that, uh, we can talk. So let me play a couple things 
scroll, scroll, scroll. And what can I play for you now? And then we'll get back and do some. Uh, well, uh, let's start with this. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force. So our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. And as always, we're looking out for sponsors, both uh, as advertisers or just donations. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Dangerously cool. So I'm trying to figure out how to do this, uh, our, our sponsor thing. I know I talked over the beginning of it. Uh, it's got a five-second delay on it. I'm not sure how it got in there. It's one of the first things I ever produced on, on my Adobe Audition program. And it's, it's just kind of weird. So I try and fill it in. I think what I'll do is, is, is start 
any sequence with that one. So it looks a little more, more professional, more seamless, as they say. All right, let's go with this article, which I found quite fascinating. And this is in the Washington Examiner. I can't find a date on it, so I'm not sure how long this has been here. It's probably been there for a while, uh, probably since, uh, since the Brandon uh, insurrection started here. It's by Hugo Gurdon, who is the editor-in-chief of the Washington Examiner, and that's G-U-R-D-O-N. And it's got several sections below it. This is big. This is a massive thing they put out here, uh, and I can't. It's just it, it's it's obviously this year 2022, you know, copyright 2022, Washington Examiner, uh, but I don't know when when they actually wrote this, but it's by the editor, and so this is the boss, <laughs> either the owner or I'm not sure who he is, but um, let me see if I can pull his name back up here again. Scroll up the article a little bit. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Editor in chief. So he's he's not the owner, but he's certainly the editor. So he makes the decisions. You know, editor. That's that's the boss. <laughs> and so the boss of the Washington Examiner has a message for us. Washington Examiner is one of my favorite sources. So uh, everybody knows about the Washington Post, which kind of lost their way after Watergate, and they sort of became part of the Democrat Party. Um, and some of the other. Who else is in Washington? Washington Times is another good one. Uh, that was started, rumor that was started by Reverend Moon of the Unification Church. Uh, but they turned into a really good paper. That's where um, um, Gertz, 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 Bob Gertz, I forgot his first name, Bill Gertz. Bill Gertz is the foreign policy uh, uh, expert. Uh, he was on our show very early in COVID. In fact, he had a bad cold. He probably had, might have even been COVID at the time before we knew exactly all of what COVID was. But he was on the show talking about the Wuhan lab back in February of 2020. You know, this is before anybody else. And that's one of the folks that uh, Dr. Peter Pry brought to the show. Uh, I can't tell you how many people Dr. Pry brought to the show. Uh, and he didn't necessarily want it known at the time. Uh, he has passed on now, so I don't think I'm betraying you know, any confidence this year. But he was so helpful. That I can't tell you how helpful, how helpful he was to the show. In fact, I'm, I'm looking to um, get one of our earlier interviews. In fact, I've already written blog talk as to how to do this. I want to replay the, the General Thomas McInerney um, interview right before that he, he told us right before the 2020 election exactly how it was going to be stolen. So what I'm trying to do is find a way to get that uh, broadcast. I think I have to download it and play with it and put it through my uh, Adobe audition uh, software and isolate just that interview and then upload it uh, as a separate interview and then it'd be part of the podcast. So it's going to take a little bit of electronics work. I got to play with it a bit. And uh, I'm in the middle right now of, of, re- of renewing my flight instructor certificate. So that, that's called a FERC, a flight instructor refresher clinic. So I have hours and hours of reading and studying and things to do, uh, as well as the show, as well as everything else. So that's a project I'll do, and I'll do it because uh, the, 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 my flight instructor refresher should be done this weekend, maybe. I'm, I'm pretty much figuring. Uh, so after that, I'm going to find out how to bring that episode. What I'll probably do is play it a week before the November election, so probably like November 1st or 2nd uh, or something like that. So on a Tuesday, I'll look, look at my calendar. I can look at my calendar now, actually. Hang on. Okay, November, November, November. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. Ah, uh, yes, the 5th of November. Guy Fox Day. Did you guys see V for Vendetta? Okay. So, so Tuesday, the 8th is election day. So Tuesday, November 1st would be a good day um, to play the Thomas McInerney interview, which gives me a little bit of time to sort of get that straight. Okay. Restoring America, Washington Examiner. Uh, Hugo Gurdon, editor-in-chief, says... America is going wrong. That is the start but necessary starting point for this editorial. Many people know it to be true. They can feel our politics and culture turning ever more sour, taste the bitter reality of national decline. But fewer people acknowledge it, for it is difficult to say such a terrible thing so bluntly. 
Politicians prefer to attack or promote specific policies and voice narrow grievances, but tend to avoid the, elect, the electoral poison of general gloom. It's interesting. I played that uh, my, my Brandon, you know, Biden's dark winter uh, right before reading this. That's kind of fascinating. Uh, interesting how these little things sort of you know, combine and, and coincidence and away we go. He says they mostly keep away from the idea conveyed by the word malaise, which Jimmy Carter succinctly captured America's weakening spirit and dwindling capacity during his hapless presidency. But a sense that the country is out of whack and needs to be restored is now widespread. One hears it whenever, wherever one goes at least among those who love America. They worry about its trajectory and lament the past uh, to which it has come. And this should be, I'm not sure this is the right thing to say past there, but anyway, that's what he wrote. He says, who can put this hand on his, who can put his hand on his heart and declare that we are thriving? We are richer than ever, living on borrowed money, but no one can say plausibly that we've never had it so good. The nation is uncomfortable, not at peace with itself, it is bitterly divided, and without unity, there is no common purpose. The uplifting assumption that we are all on the same team has become impossible to sustain. America's various parts instead work against each other. Pew Research found in March that 60% of the public thought the United States would become a less important country over the next 30 years, and 65% said it would be more politically divided. Sayings become cliches usually because they contain wisdom worth repeating. It is so with the biblical warning that a house divided against itself cannot stand. This is part of why America is faltering. It is riven with ideological conflict about the nature of the nation itself. A substantial majority of America's citizens reject their country in principle and repudiate it in practice. They scoff at its founding, uh, founding ideals, regarding them as hypocritical, insuited you know, unsuited, excuse me, to modern circumstances or both. Let me read that line again. That's important. They scoff at its founding ideals, regarding them as hypocritical, unsuited to modern circumstances or both. They insist that our history is one of irredeemable oppression. The same people often refuse to subscribe to our traditional ideals, irrespective of of whether they are tarnished. They reject the self-evident truth that life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are everybody's God-given or natural rights, for they do not trust free people to govern themselves as they think fit. And I'll stop there for a minute because, first of all, I want to narrow the screen so I can read it better. <laughs> and secondly, because he's really described the, both the need and the goal of Action Radio. I mean, this is why we do what we do, okay? Because we're not content, because we do see this house divided, because we do see the government that picks the government. And we do see the fact that they intend to govern us as they see fit, but not as we, the people, see fit. You know, our, our mission statement, our, our raison d'etre, you know, for those of you that speak French, in other words, our reason to be, okay, you know, it states, we, the people, give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. Note the emphasis. <laughs> Note how I say that in, in my promo. But that's it. And then there's two parts to this. Now, you've all heard probably before the idea that we, the people, give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. But the second part of it is equally important and have the power through juries, you know, to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. So that means the juries are the check on the law. Juries are the people's representative to the court. So are the courts over the people? No. 
The people are over the government. Therefore, the people have to have a representation in the courts to be over the government. That's what juries are. That's why juries should be in divorce trials. That's why juries should be in civil trials. That's why juries should be pretty much in every trial. Because the only way that the government you know, can do what they can do uh, by, by uh, constitutional justification uh, is by having juries of the people over the judge. That would be over the Supreme Court, too. <laughs> okay. So ju- can juries override the Supreme Court? Absolutely. Because the Supreme Court is made up of government employees, and the people are supreme to the government. So the idea that the Supreme Court is supreme over everything is nonsense. The only thing the Supreme over is the rest of the judiciary. That's it. All they do is offer opinions. So one of the most important things that we can do to get our country back in, in, a, in a free state is to limit strictly you know, and limit directly the Supreme Court. What do they need an overhaul? In fact, they need to have about uh, 10 of the 12 members re- you know, removed for bad behavior for not taking the Texas election case and starting over. But I digress. This is really fascinating. Let me read this last sentence. Uh, the same people often refuse to subscribe to our traditional ideals, irrespective of whether they are tarnished. They reject the self-evident truth that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are everybody's God-given or natural rights. For they do not trust free people to govern themselves as they think fit. So we need to change that. We need to, through Action Radio, through our citizen legislature, through we the people, through everybody in this country that wants to participate, we need to, to show the government, demonstrate to the government, and put the government in a box so that we govern ourselves as, our, as we think fit, not as they do. Because if you want to know how they think we should be governed, this is how the government, this is actually a really good example. You look what's going on now around the country. Okay, you look at the Brandon policies, you look at what's happened, you look at the stolen election, you look at everything else. This is how the government thinks we should be governed. Okay, so these are the people in power right now, the elites, the globalists, all all this. So there's never been a better example of what government do if government were in charge than this. The government stole the government that they wanted away from the elected result of we the people. That would have been Donald Trump. They installed a moron at the head who would say anything, do anything, and could not be held responsible for the tyranny that was going on behind the scenes by the people that really control the government. The government did that. The government shut down the Keystone Pipeline, took away our energy, stopped oil from being drilled, opened the southern border, made a lousy foreign policy, sent some $100 billion, according to One American News this morning, to Ukraine, keeps us in a constant state of war, you know, mandates, masks, lockdowns, school closures. Uh, a vaccine that's not a vaccine, it's a messenger RNA, you know, injection gene-altering device, which could very well be a bioweapon. That's how the government chooses to govern us. Do we choose that? Hell no. Okay, so what's the only time, what's the only option left to us? Well, elections, but they've already been stolen. So what's the only option left to us? Well, see, this is what the government wants. The government chose that there would be no option left open to us. That's the point. The government creates a situation where no option is left open to us to take our country back. I want you to think about that for a minute. The government has created a situation where they think, they think no option is open to us to take our country back. Enter Action Radio. Okay? Not trying to blow my own horn here. This is not me. I mean, it is a little bit because I created it. Okay, let me grant you that. But this is about you. This is about the country that you choose to live in. This is about the laws that you consent to be governed by. This is the effort that you have to make to create a country that's free for your kids and their kids. This is about what you are going to do to take your country back. 
from the government because the government has taken the, gov- the country from you. And they proved that by putting Brandon in the White House. That is the government choosing the government. That's unconstitutional. That's illegitimate. We are not being governed by a legitimate government right now. They chose the government and they maintain the power structure and they're preventing us from fixing that by saying that, oh, it's all a hoax. It's a big lie. They didn't steal the government. Those people in the, in the D.C. Gulag are insurrectionists rather than patriots or just Trump supporters who were taking selfies by statues in the White House, in the, in the Capitol building. Okay? They don't tell you that the real coup happened underneath the Capitol while the Trump supporters were taking selfies up top. They don't tell you that they stole the government during the time that the Trump supporters were up top. You never hear Mike Pence characterized as the only person on a presidential ticket to steal the election for the other side. You don't hear these things. Because the media, for the most part, is with the government. It's part of the government. And the government is part of the Democrat Party. That's what I said. The government is part of the Democrat Party. Not the Democrat Party is part of the government. The government is part of the Democrat Party. The media is part of the Democrat Party. The organization and group that is in charge of the country right now is the Democrat Party, with a little offshoot to make you feel good called the Republican Party. And of that, there are certain people in the Republican Party that are America Firsters, led by Donald Trump that are using the Republican Party because if you're not in a party and you're independent, you don't get any support from anybody. But how much support does he get within the Republican Party? Because you've got, you got two branches in the Republican Party. You've got establishment, otherwise known as the rhinos, or you know what we call them. Or you've got, uh, you've got America Firsters. Those are your choices. America First, rhinos, or Democrats. Well, there's no choice. Well, it's America First is the choice. So that's how it goes. So here we are. So what are you going to do? All right. Now, all, all I ask of people is to copy the links of our bills and send them to media and to legislators. That's it. It's free. You've already got internet. You've already got a computer. You've already got email. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to go anywhere. You know, it only takes a minimal amount of time. Go to writeyourlaws.com. Click on legislation. Click on all proposed laws. Look for the bills that you like. Hopefully vaccine product liability and uh, ending big tech censorship. And send them into Congress and send them into media, especially your favorite talk shows. Let's get them talking. The more people that talk about this, the more media that covers it, the more, uh, the greater chance we have to take our... It's interesting that if, if we have to take our country back, it means that we lost it. See, I don't think we've lost it. I, I, I don't really like that term. It bothers me because it puts you in a mindset that you lost your country. See, I want you to think that you never lost your country, but it's been temporarily uh, hijacked by, you know, the government in choosing the government that you will be governed by. <laughs> so the government chose the government that you'll be governed by. And that's where we go. All right, let me see if I can... Uh, I still like this line here. And this is the most important here. They reject the self-evident truth that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are everybody's God-given or natural rights. For they do not trust free people to govern themselves as they see fit. All right, let's go on. Excuse me. Then it says, why is that? It is because free people do not choose extreme egalitarianism. Is that a great word? That's one of those words people use all the time. I don't think they define. Since I don't have a, a brilliant definition coming right off my head right now, I'm going to look it up. Egalitarian, relating to or believing in the principle that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities. Well, that makes sense. So uh, let's, see, let's, let's get back to our sentence again. So what's extreme egalitarianism? Extreme equality? 
Hmm. Let me start that paragraph again. Why is that? It is because free people do not choose extreme egalitarianism. Therefore, today's radicals work always and everywhere to increase central control, obliging people to live not as they wish, but as they are told. Within the desire to limit freedom is a dichotomy, for the problem is not only a march towards oppressive equity, but also the growth of a triumphant elitism. Okay, I think they're misused. I think he misuses the word egalitarianism. There, right there. So if, if you're talking about egalitarianism in, in terms of equity as opposed to equality, that's different. Or unless my dictionary has a bad definition. Let's come back to our dictionary again. It's live radio. I don't mind. Egalitarian. Uh, a person who advocates or supports egalitarian principles. Well, that doesn't work. Relating to or believing in the principle that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities. That doesn't sound right. Egalitarian. Ism. I'm going to have to look this up further at a, at a different source. source. The doctrine that all people are equal and deserve equal rights. Okay. Um, I don't think that's what it is because equity is very different than equality. Okay. Let me say that again. Equity is completely different than equality. Equity mandates that everybody have the same amount of stuff, <laughs> the same income you know, uh, reparations for any, any grievance that uh, you all make the same amount of money, a tax structure where if you make a whole bunch of money, you get a huge tax rate. And if you make a little bit of money, there's no taxes at all. In fact, you get credits so that you have equity. So everybody's basically equalized. Well, that's, that's the quickest way to destroy a society. So let me, and let's see if our dictionary is any better in terms of equity and equality. So equity, E-Q-U-I-T-Y, equity, the quality of being fair and impartial. That's not true either a branch of law that developed alongside common law in order to remedy some of its defects in fairness and justice. What is this thing gone woke on me? Is my dictionary, my online dictionary completely woke? What is this? The value of the shares issued by a company. Uh, okay. There, the value of a mortgage property. All right. So let's, let's see what equality says. Equality. State of being equal, especially in status rights and opportunities. Uh, okay, uh, a symbolic expression of the fact that two quantities are equal, an equation. Now, let's go back to e- equity, equitable, I'm, I'm getting really sidetracked here. <laughs> equitable, fair and impartial, uh, an equal and equitable balance of power, valid in equity and distinct from law. The beneficiaries have equitable interest in the property. Okay, all right, so there we go. So this isn't really helping me. Let me, let me do it my way. So equality is where we, like opportunity. If everybody's equal, you have an equal chance of uh, going in. In other words, there's no prejudice against race, sex, age, you know, things like that. Uh, I mean, you all come into this equal. Now, that doesn't mean that you're all equal in terms of abilities, talents, intelligence, you know, all kinds of other things. Energy, you know, that's, the, you know. So in other words, if, if it was equitable, they'd neutralize all those special qualities you have. If it's, if it's equal opportunity, everybody comes in under the same, the same criteria. So you're being judged by the criteria. Now, how you match that criteria, that, is that equal? No. <laughs> and it can't be. Otherwise, everybody would get the job. The, only re- the way you select the best candidate is the person who best matches the criteria for the job. But everybody has an equal chance going in, and then you prove yourself and away you go. So equity and equality are two words that you really want to keep separate in your brain and use them as well as possible so that uh, you know, we, we keep this going here. All right. 
So there was, so let's go back. I'm just going to read the article. It's probably better I do that rather than confuse these definitions. He says, why is that? It says, it is because free people do not choose extreme egalitarianism. Therefore, today's radicals work always and everywhere to increase central control, obliging people to live not as they wish, but as they are told. Within the desire to limit freedom is a dichotomy, for the problem is not only a march toward oppressive equity, but also the growth of a triumphant elitism. We are in the middle of a cultural revolution that is marginalizing ordinary people from decision-making. The moral relativism of the recent past slashed and burned the traditional values of our culture, producing the tabula rasa on which tyrannical revolutionaries always seem to build their utopias. Now, that building has begun, and they have replaced their moral relativism with arrogant moral certainty. That is why they are so intolerant. People who disagree with them are not to be listened to, but silenced. That's where your cancel culture comes from. The central aim of the new revolution, antithetical to our core founding idea, is to reduce freedom and concentrate power in the hands of like-minded politicians in Washington. To do this, they camouflage their ideology in the guise of public good. This do-gooding is inflicting terrible damage. This is actually a brilliant article despite the fact that I have to still, you know, work through some of the definitions here. But think about what, what they're saying here. This is exactly what I talked about a few minutes ago. The government stole the government. Why? Because they know best. Your vote doesn't count. Not because they, it's not that they don't care about your vote. It's irrelevant to them. They're going to tell you what to do. So if they're going to tell you what to do, then, then what, what, what does your vote mean? It means nothing to them. You know, so they're not stealing the vote. They're, just, they're considering the vote irrelevant. So they're, they're going around the vote. Because the vote doesn't matter. Because you don't matter. You're cogs in the wheel. You know, as Nancy Pelosi said that we need illegal aliens to pick the grapes so she can have, you know, Napa Valley wine. That's how she thinks of people. They're not people. They're cogs in the wheel. They're servants. This is how the, this is how the global elites can, can uh, you know, quote, vaccinate, you know, millions upon millions of people and however many die, die. But they don't care because the overall, you know, they're still going to be on top and they'll still have their servants. So they're happy. It's kind of a weird thing. Well, it's not weird. It's dangerous. It's actually tragic. Let me get back. I, I don't mean to... Uh, diminish the impact of what these people are doing. All right, back to the article here. Uh, this, is, this is fascinating. And I, I posted, you can find it though, just, look, just go to um, you know, the Washington Examiner, uh, the editorial on Restoring America, you know, from Hugo, uh, uh, the edit- well, I'm not going to move my place. It'll take me too long to find it again. <sighs> Let me continue on. It is time to stop it. Indeed, it is long past time. But one must start somewhere, and now is better than later. And although it is necessary to stop inflicting damage on our polity and culture, applying the brakes is not enough. We must go further and reverse the process, restore what has been lost, reclaim and embrace what has been abandoned. Thorough and effective restoration is painstaking work, but it is worth it. Think this guy would be interested in what we're doing at Action Radio, our citizen legislature, writing the laws that we consent to be governed by? You think he might be interested? You think? Moving on. Because America embodies universal truths, restoring it, like restoring great art, would refresh and renew something valuable, not only to the citizens of this country, but to everyone around the world. America and its founding ideals are scarred with the depredations of hostile ideologies and encrusted with the dust of long neglect. But this nation can again be a shining city on a hill, a repository of high ideals, and a cause of hope for all the people of the earth. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing that too. As Action Radio grows, the share 
of our American audience, uh, not, the, not the amount of listeners, but the share, is shrinking. More and more people around the world are listening to action radio, particularly in the English-speaking countries, you know, Great Britain, Australia, Canada, um, New Zealand. And we're growing. Those are the countries where the most growth is right now. Why? Because they want freedom too. So if we're going to be a, a shining city on a hill, if we're going to be the bastion of freedom, we have to restore it here first and then take it on the rest of the world. That's why I wrote a Bill of Rights with uh, Jen Clark in Australia. We spent a lot of time on that. Have you guys read it? <laughs> you know, writeyourlaws.com, go to legislation and click on all proposed laws and look for the Australian Bill of Rights. It's right there. Okay? We've got a lot of things that would be very uh, good to have in our Bill of Rights here in the United States and our Constitution. And when's the last time we had a decent right put into our Constitution? It's been a long time. Do we need it with the modern technology? You bet we do. I'll talk about that one day. Maybe I'll do that next week. All right, back to the article. It says, it is in this spirit that the Washington Examiner has launched a campaign restoring America. Ooh, I guess I've got to get involved with that. That will draw attention in news reporting, commentary, and video to debate over the direction of the country. In our magazine, and oh, I guess this is an ad then. <laughs> in our magazine and on our website, we commit ourselves to covering topics. We're stating principles, affirming beliefs, and raising concerns and dangers that together amount to a checklist for action. Well, funny you should say that. <laughs> Have I got a checklist for action for you? <laughs> it's called RightYourLaws.com. But I, we really, I really timed this. You know, I've never timed anything well in my life. I've timed everything badly. You know, I, just, I mean, I'm just hopeless when it comes to picking the right time to do so. This one, this one I actually got right. It's, it's kind of fascinating. He says, the camp, this campaign will not be brief. We plan to sustain it month after month in the hope that the Washington Examiner can do its part in the necessary task of returning America to robust good health. If our campaign strikes a chord with you, we hope you will visit the new Restoring America section that we have launched on the Washington Examiner website and join us in continuous discussion and advocacy on these matters vital to our future. Guess what I'm going to do after the show? <laughs> okay. It's just, so what is, uh, what is it that must be restored? Everyone will have their own view. No kidding. But here's how we arrived at what we believe most people could support. We asked ourselves what qualities America embodied when it was most admired around the world and what made its citizens most proud to declare that they were American. Critics will claim this exposes the campaign as backward-looking and reactionary, but it is nothing of the sort. For a society to evolve and yet be stable and tolerant, it must always be engaged in negotiation between past and future, respecting the wisdom of the former while not snuffing out the hopes of the latter. Pretty key stuff. Thus, a campaign that respects what our founders bequeathed us seeks what is necessary for America to thrive for generations to come. The fact that our founding values enabled America to achieve stunning success for more than two centuries is a testament to their efficacy and universality. They worked. That is perhaps the strongest argument for defending them and handling, handing them unharmed to our children and to American children yet unborn. Americans used to be recognized the world over for their patriotism and a sense they shared that whatever their background, they were united by being American. E pluribus unum. Excuse me for my Latin mispronunciation. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. Was not merely a noble aspiration, but a concrete fact. It found expression to the envy and sometimes also to the mockery of foreigners in Americans' desire to fly the flag whenever and wherever opportunity arose. Americans were also more likely than people of other developed nations to practice a religious faith, believe in personal freedom, and be self-reliant rather than look to government to fix their problems. 
a corollary, a corollary, C-O-R-O-L-L-A-R-Y, corollary, was that Americans were notably optimistic, blessed and driven, a can-do spirit rooted in courage and strength. I want to talk about that for a minute. This is something that uh, I didn't anticipate, didn't think about, didn't occur to me, had no idea. Although I knew that our founders had a strong belief in God and a strong belief in, in Christianity and a strong belief that, uh, you know, that rights come from God. And that was the whole basis of the separation from England, which believed that rights came from the monarch and the monarch was basically God. The monarch, the, the crown, the king or the queen of England was also the head of the church. So the king had dominion over the people, had dominion over the church, was basically, you know, God's representative on earth to the people of England, was the only sovereign, was the only citizen, had the only vote. Really, everybody else was a subject. And on that point, we fought a revolution that said, no, that's not true. Everybody is their own sovereign. Everybody is a citizen. Everybody has the same God-given rights. Okay? It doesn't mean you get equity, you get the same property. That's where the left comes in and screws everything up. Okay? But everybody has the same God-given rights. Now, what you do with them is your business. See, a right, a right is very misunderstood. A right is not what you are given. A right is what you exercise. A right exists in its exercise. The Second Amendment exists when somebody keeps and bears arms. The First Amendment exists when someone speaks freely, when someone practices their religion, when someone peaceably assembles to redress grievances, the, 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 uh, a right exists when someone is given or demands due process, demands a search warrant before a search and seizure, demands all the things, will not testify against themselves. Okay? Well, you know, this is what it's all about. Okay? And rights exist when the states claim their right to anything not specifically delegated to the federal government. Those are rights. Okay? Now, do states have rights? Not really. States have powers. People have rights. That's the difference. So you want to keep that in mind. So a right is something that you exercise without government interference. A right cannot be given to you or something is given to you. It can't be given to you because you were born with it. And you can't have something given to you because the only way the government can give you something is to take it from someone else first. That is why health care is not a right. Food is not a right. Well, when you can't have food, of course you can have food. You're going to go buy it or grow it or kill it. <laughs> You know, that's what food, you know, but do you have a right to it? No, because you don't have a right to anything that somebody else produces. You pay for it. You have, you have compensation for it. You trade, you barter, or you use the universal, uh, you know, mode of exchange money. That's why money is here as a universal mode of exchange to pay for services and goods that somebody else creates. That's how they make a profit by charging you more than it costs to create that good and service so they can invest that money, accumulate more property, advance their business, help their family or whatever. That is a free market. That's how it works. So we actually have a right to a free market because we have a right to our own person. We have a right to our, our, our abilities to generate profits for ourselves. How's that for a thought? I'm kind of on a roll this morning. Well, because no one else is joining me, so I'm just going to keep talking. A lot of people weren't expecting the show to start this late, so uh, that, uh, I understand why my regular callers might not be here because at this point in, in the day, they've got other things to do. So that's okay. But, uh, I, you know, like I said, I did this for uh, – for the ability to talk to Senator Rogers in the next hour. Well, the hour after the next one. I still have another hour to go. And I'm still in this article. <laughs> you know, I was wondering, I have like six articles. I think, what if I run out of things to talk about? And then I get, to, then I get going and I find one article takes like an hour. Let me see if I can uh, go back to, uh, to this article here. 
It says Americans were also more likely than people of other developed nations to practice a religious faith. Okay, let me, let me focus on that again, too. So, in fact, I didn't finish that thought now that I think about it. The one universal that I found, the one thing that is, is um, consistent among everybody that's associated with the show, the people that believe the strongest in individual freedom also believe the strongest in God. So God is freedom. God represents freedom to people. Whereas some people think God represents oppression. Well, all the wars were started by religion. Okay? Well, you've got to separate religion from God. So if you're going to separate church and state, a, a state using a religion to say God's on our side, go take that hill, that's not, being, that's not God on your side. Government cannot co-opt God for, God, for, for government's own purposes. All right? So the whole idea of a separation of church and state is not that the government will have nothing to do with religion. It's that the government will have nothing to do with establishing a religion. And you need to be really clear on that. There is no Church of America. That would be the government establishing a religion. But if the government prays, if the government uh, leaves churches to stay open during COVID, which they should have done, or if the church is demanded to stay open anyway, saying, screw you. Well, we got a First Amendment right to uh, a religion. There is no emergency that cancels the Bill of Rights. None. That's another thing, too. We talked about that a lot at the beginning of, of the whole COVID thing. There is no emergency so great that the Constitution is ever suspended, restricted, uh, in any way curtailed, ineffective, or in any way touched, regardless of how you know, severe any emergency or war might be. You still have all your rights. That's what makes this country unique. There is no suspension. There are no reasonable restrictions. There is no compelling state interest. All these things that the courts have come up with to limit your rights. None of that is legal. What about COVID? It's an emergency. We need public health things. We need to quarantine to do that. Okay, there are actually due processes. There's a due process way to quarantine people. Once they're demonstrated that they're sick, once you see symptoms of a disease that is communicable and dangerous, you can quarantine people. Okay? So, due pro- so the fact that we have rights does not mean that rights can be, cannot be restricted at any time. What we're saying is the Constitution can't be restricted at any time. But individuals, through due process, you know, have their rights restricted every time they're thrown in jail. But you have to have your due process, okay? So the Constitution doesn't get curtailed. The rights of a particular individual get curtailed because they violated the laws of society. And so in doing so, once they've had due process, once they've been searched, seized, search warranted, arraigned, grand juried, you know, trialed, convicted, and, and, and then thrown in jail, yeah, that's when you need a problem with their rights. But there's a due process. The things that you are due, and there's a process. That's what due process is. Back to this article. <laughs> Dude, really, how much more do I have to go? Yeah, well, oh, we got more to go. Maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll skip that interview for the next hour. We'll see. Maybe I'll play play you a shorter one. This is Americans are also more likely. Okay, I read that about faith. Yeah, isn't that? Now think about it with yourself. Do you find that you and the people that you know that you associate with, the stronger the belief in God, the stronger the belief in freedom, because God is freedom, freedom from government. Think about that. Back to the article. Everybody had a stake in the, in the country. Americans genuinely believed in equality, not elitism, even when they did not practice it perfectly. They have always been notably more charitable than most other peoples, giving time and money voluntarily rather than delegating compassion and responsibility to a central power. They have believed and lived by the understanding that decisions are best made closest to the people whom those decisions affect. And again, I'll give you our mission statement here. This is directly in line with the mission statement of Action Radio. We, the people, give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. So that's our consent. 
Now, do we get those laws? They still have to go through a legislature. The legislature screws up, we can uh, kick them out. But you have to have the Constitution. You have to have the legislative process. Why? Because people can be bought. Because we have voters that can be bought, that can get real misinformation. Not the stuff that they say is misinformation. But it doesn't take much for a government through a democracy to convince 51% of the population that they, they are owed you know, 49% of the population's money. <laughs> okay? That's how society gets destroyed. You take from the minority and give to the majority. So all you need is 50% plus one person you know, in the country of 310, 20 million people you know, to, to vote themselves people in office who will take money. You know, re, you know, the, the, it's like reverse Robin Hood. Robin Hood didn't rob from the rich, by the way. Robin Hood robbed from the government and gave tax money back to the people. Let's get that straight. They screw that up so you won't know the true story. Okay? Anyway, that's how it works. So this is how, this is how it works. This is how the system works. All right? So we the people. The Constitution says we the people of the United States of America. It doesn't say the government. You know, in fact, it's a limitation on government. So, but the people have to be educated to know, and this is what we do at Action Radio all the time. We're talking about the fact that you have the power to write laws that you consent to be governed by. No guarantee you're going to get them. You have to advocate for them, but you have the power to write them. And in writing them, you show your consent to be governed. I want you to think about that briefly, and I shall continue on here. It says, closest of all are parents and family members. Americans have traditionally regarded the family, rightly, as the most important social unit of all. Finally, Americans long stood out for their, uh, for their expressed desire for fairness and justice. They believe that all people should get their just desserts and be able to get ahead if they make an effort and live by the rules. Thus, the Washington Examiner, back to the source here, arrived at six broad categories of values and vital reporting and commentary that will guide Respring America. Now, let's add detail to each. This is fascinating. I actually have a long way to go in this article, and I'll probably take the rest of the hour to do it. I believe this is worth reading. I believe this is worth listening to, and I'll try and keep my commentary to a minimum, but there's no guarantees. First category, patriotism and unity. We will campaign for children to be taught to love and respect America. This does not mean whitewashing history or evading the truth that slavery is a grievous stain on our past, but it does mean school children should not be propagandized as they are now to believe that ours is a fundamentally bad country, worse than others, and beyond redemption. Last year, Gallup found that the U.S. national pride had fallen to a record low. This should not be, for America is great and good, and children should grow up understanding this. Our nation's determination to live up to its ideals meant that it fought a terrible civil war to stay united and end slavery. That to its credit, not its shame. Just as children should learn unbiased history, they should also be taught other essential knowledge, which many schools fail spectacularly to do, such as reading, writing, science, genuine civics, and math to prepare them to live successful lives. Yeah, I've got an article on how phonics is coming back from uh, Intellectual Takeout. We'll probably get that to another day. Article says, teaching children to respect the flag and those who may have made sacrifices for it is part of a wider national goal of fostering a shared American culture based on dignity and respect for all. Part of that shared culture should be that English is taught as the nation's core, but not its only language. National unity requires proportionality in government, which means that although minorities should be protected, policies should be approved of by the majority, not narrow ones that most Americans don't want. They should not be calculated to appeal to special castes, such as in India, right, 
uh, untouchables, etc., Brahmins, you know, the other end, special castes favored by political ideology, for that is a form of governance that divides us, setting group against group in bitter competition. Yeah, um, you know, it's like characterizing white people as white supremacists, you know, uh, black people as victims. I mean, this goes on all the time. So national unity, are you American first? It'd be nice if we got rid of terms like African-American, Irish-American, Italian-American. You know, you can say you have Italian background, Irish background, black background, well, African background. Uh, I get myself screwed up here. Um, that's fine. But you're American first. I mean, I have a, I, I'm Canadian by birth, but I'm an American citizen. You know, this is my loyalty. This is my country. You know, and that's how I view it. Which is not to say I wouldn't get a Canadian passport sometime because Canada allows it. <laughs> I'm a bit of a hypocrite there, so I'll allow myself, uh, I'll, I'll be at least honest in my uh, slight hypocrisy there. Back to the article. Division is the aim of today's radicals, and it should be rejected. Critical race theory is a prime example of this blight, as are the, the equally tendinitious, tendinitious? It's a new word for me, teachings of intersectionality. They are unfalsable. Oh, this guy's got big words. I've got I to slow down for a second. Tendinitious? I've never heard that word before. This is what happens when I deal with a writer, okay? somebody that actually can write. Tendinitious. No, no, it's an E, not an R. Hang on a second. Yeah. Oh, I guess it comes from tendency. 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 Oh, there we go. Of course, tendency is the inclination towards something. Now, what is tendinitious, though? Tendin-P-I-P. You're doing a radio show and typing on a keyboard at the same time. Tendinitious. Expressing or intending to promote a particular cause or point of view, especially a controversial one. Oh, that's a very different point. Of, that's a very different uh, thing. Expressing or intending to promote a particular cause or point of view. Well, there we go. Tendinitious teachings of intersectionality. All right, intersectionality. You guys heard that word before? I'm going to read this again once I get my definitions out. And I have to type with one. I'm left-handed too. Oh, actually, I'm right-handed, but I'm typing with my left hand because that's where the keyboard is. Intersectionality. Here we go. The interconnected nature of social categorizations such as race, class, and gender uh, as they appeal as they apply to a given individual or group regarded as creating overlapping and interdependent, interdependent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. Let's try that again. <laughs> That's a big word. The interconnected nature of social categorizations, such as race, class, and gender, as they apply to a given individual or group regarding as, regarded as creating overlapping and interdependent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. Oh, in other words, so if you're, if you're I guess you're... Uh, your race and your sex and age, you know, you can be discriminated on all those things. That's intersectionality. Okay. New word for me. Got to work on it. Let me start the paragraph again. Division is the aim of today's radicals, and it should be rejected. Critical theory is a prime example of this blight, as are the equally tendinitious teachings of intersectionality. Oh, I made it. They are unfalsifiable ideological assertions that, under the dishonest banner of equity, intentionally foster mutual antipathy and distrust especially between races. The charge of racism is hurled at political opponents as a way of staunching debate. It is a vile weaponization of race that should be rejected explicitly whenever it occurs. Okay, this is why when I wrote my, uh, my glossary, my conservative glossary a couple of years ago, one of the, uh, the words, I, I, the, the terms I came up with was political racism. Okay, Greg, what's political racism? Political racism is using the term racism to gain a political advantage. It's exactly what it says right here. So hopefully I'm in good company. 
He says racism is wrong, but equally, it is not the explanation for every wrong. Demands for reparations for slavery have grown even louder, but they should be rejected without embarrassment. They were nothing less than a form of collective punishment imposed on people who had nothing to do with slavery to benefit people who are not slaves. Oh, I really like this article. I'll tell you why. He agrees with me all the time. What, I said, what, do I, what have I said about affirmative action? The qualified don't need it and the unqualified don't deserve it? You know, what have I said about uh, reparations? That you're, you're, you're rewarding people that, that weren't uh, victims and you're punishing people that weren't slave owners? Yeah, it's exactly the same thing here. Oh, I guess I am in good company. I'm kind of happy now. It says, finally, patriotism and unity require that we actually have a country. A defining feature of a nation state is that it is surrounded by a border. True democracy demands. Well, see, I mean, you're going to lose me here. When you say democracy, you've already lost me. Okay, we're a republic, but I'll read it anyway. True democracy demands that Americans be allowed to decide who may be admitted and live in their country with them. This is a moral imperative. If there is no border, then the, the democracy and country are not real. The federal government has an absolute duty to regain control of the nation's borders, to adopt a coherent immigration policy that reflects the will of the citizens who elected it to represent them and to stop illegal immigration. I'm not sure the gelding old party, the Republicans, can actually do that because I'm not convinced their heart's in it. I am not convinced that they are dedicated to making it impossible for illegal aliens to live here so they will leave. That's my problem. Let me get you some more on this here. Looks like I'm going to be reading for a while. <laughs> I'll be reading right up until the next hour. We'll see, because I have more to go. And I really want to put this all in one podcast, because I, I think it's uh, fabulous and fascinating all at the same time. Next part of this is faith, freedom, and self-reliance. We will advocate individual responsibility, which is life-affirming, and battle against collectivism and dependency, which encourage a debilitating helplessness and a belief that any imperfections in our lives are someone else's fault, that government should fix. Government handouts should be only for real need. Affirmative action in both private and public sectors must end. Instead of encouraging a victim mindset, we need to foster a culture that rewards merit and success. That's what I'm hoping for with Action Radio. So, yeah, share the show. <laughs> We're trying to get past our censorship, you know, to hopefully reward us for our effort, you know, and, then, and hopefully we'll be successful. I'm going to take a break real quick. Uh, well, maybe I'll finish. No, let me finish this section. I'll take a quick uh, break. Get a big glass of water, <laughs> and I'll be back with you. It says uh, it says that requires government to get out of the uh, says that requires government to get out of the way. Appropriately limited government means taxes being raised and money spent for real infrastructure, roads, bridges, broadband access, but not for controversial political programs and social engineering. People with new ideas. Oh, that would be me. People with new ideas must be allowed sufficient space to flourish. So red tape, which hobbles innovation and wealth creation, must be cut. Yeah, censorship does it too, by the way. Uh, intrusive regulation is the latest deceptive strategy of socialism, intended to give government ever more powerful tools with which to micromanage businesses while striking the risk, excuse me, shirking the risks and costs of ownership. In a well-ordered society, risk and reward go together. Inextricably linked with this is the protection of property rights and the avoidance of confiscatory taxes and stifling restrictions on land use. Agreed. Although I still want to preserve some land, farmland, and I don't want to see species extinct. But we'll talk about that too. Back to the article. Beyond the economic sphere, freedom means championing the First Amendment. Indeed, all of the Bill of Rights, rejecting speech codes and tolerating differences of opinion. That's what we do on the show all the time. Cancel culture must be repudiated everywhere. 
Tech censorship must be resisted. Hey, I know how to do that. Got a bill. Monopolies must not be allowed to impose their worldview on the public. Okay, so much for woke culture. Freedom of conscience, religion, and association must be protected. Today's revolutionaries, that would be us, are pushing faith ever for into retreat. Oh, no, oh, that would not be us. <laughs> My mistake. Apologize. Recap. Today's revolutionaries are pushing faith ever further into retreat. There's an active, see, I consider myself a revolutionary. That's probably why. There is an, there's an active effort to drive religion out of the public square to secularize America. They are succeeding. Some religions, Islam, for example, are for the moment tolerated by today's radicals because it is not a religion generally associated with America and its history. Christians, by contrast, form America's oldest and largest faith group. Naturally, therefore, they are an anathema to our revolutionaries who seek to oppress those who practice Christianity and to excoriate its doctrines at every opportunity. This is deliberate, vicious persecution, and it must be rejected. Let me take a break here, play a couple things here. Next section is courage, strength, and optimism. I got a lot to go. Well, let's see how much we, I don't know. If, if you're, you know, uh, this is, this is, to me, this is fascinating. This is why I'm, I'm having a good time playing it. All right, back in a bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates. W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. 
Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. So we're in the middle of a bit of a restructuring here because we have so many reports have changed. Our, our world's greatest doctors panel that we ran for 18 weeks, so what, four months? No, what, four, five, six, 20, four, three and a half months. <laughs> a long time, 18 weeks um, in a row. And we're gonna, I'm going to post the links to uh, – I'll make those links available for all 18 shows. You, know, you can do it yourself. Just uh, you know, go through the shows and go back to our Thursdays starting about three weeks ago, back 18 weeks. Um, but that's a change. Captain Tom Stewart, who was brilliant for, I think, you know, either two or three months here on the show, has left his show. Uh, our, our Wednesday Women of Wellness uh, have departed from the show. And I'm not sure who else. So that's, anyway, we have a lot of free hours during the week. Monday's full. Friday's full. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are pretty much wide open. Thursday is completely open. I have no reports now scheduled for Thursdays. And so what we're going to do is I'll be looking around and uh, filling stuff. Or I'm just going to talk a lot. <laughs> I'll just find really big articles to go over, like the one that I found now. But the, the, the work behind the scenes, the work on our, our various um, causes and bills and things like that, that's not going to change. And now I can't find my article. It's hidden. Where did, oh, wait a minute. There it is. Hang on my Washington Examiner article here. So the next section of this, and like I said, it, sometimes I'll do this. I'll put a lot in one podcast, so it's at least in one place. To listen to segments. You don't have to listen to the whole thing all at once. I don't. When I listen to my show, I don't listen to it all at once. I go a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, and then just kind of gradually um, get through. But since I did the show, I don't have to listen to all of it because I was there when it happened. All right. Back to our article, Washington Examiner, Restoring America. And that's how you can find it. Just look up Washington Examiner, comma, Restoring America. You'll find it. Under the section, Courage, Strength, and Optimism, we will campaign for American global leadership to be maintained and strengthened. The world is better for it. Standing up for American interests and ideals usually coincides with standing up for what is right. U.S. leadership cannot exist only in theory, but must be exercised in practice, which requires Washington to use national strength and moral suasion, that'd be persuasion, confidently at the United Nations, NATO, the World Health Organization, and every other multilateral organization. Well, see, I'm not in favor of, of those. I would... I would take us out of NATO, let them pay for themselves and do what they want with it. Uh, World Health Organization, considering what they did with COVID, no, I don't think so. United Nations, um, uh-uh, 
I would not only take the United States out of the United Nations, I would move them to Geneva, Switzerland. Oh, how about Brussels? That's where everybody, everything else is in Brussels. NATO is in Brussels. The European Union is in Brussels. Let's move the UN to Brussels. Let's, let's concentrate on the globalists in one place so we can watch them. Okay, back to the article. The world's bad actors, China, Russia, Middle East dictatorships, and others have for he didn't, you know, we just mentioned and others have for decades worked to undermine the interests of America and its allies. The federal government, which is ever more assertive at home, is ever weaker abroad, allowing erosion of America's authority rather than deploying its economic and diplomatic power. The shameful route of the U.S. forces from Afghanistan is the latest example of declining U.S. potency and exposed its superpower status to justified mockery. America must maintain the most powerful armed forces in the world. I definitely agree with that. There, are, there has been a steady decline in U.S. military spending since it stood at 9.4% of gross domestic product in 1967. Of course, that had been the height of the Vietnam War. Pres- I can't say President Joe Biden. Uh, <clears throat> resident, <laughs> resident Joe Biden's latest budget would cut it to 3.1% despite the massive challenge posed by China's buildup. Our military has one purpose only, which is to win wars or deter them with the potency of its weapons, training, and tactics. A strong military is also a non-political military. Thus, the U.S. armed forces must cease being used for social experimentation, and the Pentagon must stop inculcating men and women in uniform with corrosive dogma that sows division and self-doubt. American strength and leadership must resist China's totalitarian effort to displace the U.S. as the preeminent superpower. Washington needs to adopt Ronald Reagan's Cold War strategy, which was to win it. (laughs) Part of doing that is dealing with rogue states and bad actors decisively while avoiding entanglements not in America's interest. That would be Ukraine. That was me, my editorial version there. Article says the national security establishment has, has for decades warned that a rapidly deepening debt, 30 trillion, 31 trillion now, and counting, so this article is about five, six months old, I'm guessing. Anyway, says uh, 30 trillion and counting is the danger that uh, militates, there's a new word, militates against our global power. Militates. This guy knows more words than I do. And I know a fair amount of words too. Let's say, let's say militates. M-I-L-I-L-I-T-E-S. Militate. Of a factor of circumstance. Be a powerful or conclusive factor in preventing these fundamental differences will militate against the two communities coming together. It's not a word I'm going to use very often. I don't like it. It doesn't seem to uh, militate. Yeah, uh, be a powerful or conducive factor in preventing. So, okay, so this is prevent. Why don't you say prevents? <laughs> we use it like militates when you can say prevents. I'm sorry. I'm just, you know, I don't, I don't, this guy must be a lawyer. Anyway, national, let's start the paragraph again. The National Security Establishment has, has for decades warned that a rapidly deepening debt, 30 trillion and counting, is a danger that militates against our global power. The restoration of America's strength requires balanced, fiscally responsible policies that grow the economy. That's not correct English either. Grow is not a verb. You know, you can make the economy grow, but you cannot grow the economy. That's a Bill Clintonism. Let me say it properly. Policies that make the economy grow and encourage wealth creation. This must be matched by policies that nurture private saving and job creation. Business and entrepreneurship should be celebrated, not denigrated or plundered for political purposes. All right. Let me um, put this really clearly. If you want a good economy forever, you know, or at least if you want uh, the basis of a good economy, a fundamentally good you know, economic ground, then you have to pass our constitutional amendment that takes away the power of Congress to borrow money. 
I mean, it's just that simple. That is the most powerful bill we have. It would, for generations, increase prosperity beyond your wildest dreams. All your savings would increase in value. Your money would increase in value. All the prices would decrease. Uh, the, uh, the power of the government would actually decrease. They, they could survive on a whole lot more money. We could cut taxes incredibly uh, because the value of the money is so great. Okay? So as a percentage of your income, uh, you know, it, it would be lower and lower and lower because they're going to get more value because the dollars are worth more. So they could actually buy more stuff with less money because the value of the money itself has increased. That's called deflation. It's the secret weapon of prosperity. I'm going to do a whole show on that. In fact, I think I'll call it, I think I'll title a show sometime soon. Deflation, the secret weapon of prosperity because everybody lies about it. By the way, the Roaring Twenties were preceded by deflation, just to let you know. I found that out this morning. Back to the article. National debt. Uh, You want to get rid of the national debt? Stop Congress from borrowing. It's not that hard to do. Article says, courage, traditionally a characteristic of America and its people, is needed now as much as or more than ever. The silent majority must be helped to stand firm and speak its mind. It will, as Benjamin Franklin noted, take a vigilant citizenry to keep the republic in which we are blessed to live. Uh, that's Action Radio again, uh, you know, our citizen legislature. So nothing is more vigilant of, uh, of our laws, I think, than a citizen legislature. You know, this is why we have one together here. And, and this is what we're going to see. Again, we don't know what's going to happen with Action Radio. We don't know what's going to happen with our citizen legislature. But as more and more people find out what we do here and the ability of average people to write laws that we consent to be governed by that are good and just and fair and not equitable but equal, you know, because equal is what freedom is all about, not equitable. And as we write these good and just and fair and equal laws to bring unparalleled levels of freedom to us, this is going to catch on. And more and more people will see that average citizens are writing good and just and fair and equal laws, and they will want to get in on it too. They will support those laws. They will send those bills to Congress. They will write laws of their own, and we will support them. And this is how this is going to grow. And talk radio, show, talk radio hosts are going to become action radio hosts. You know, and I foresee the, the, uh, uh, the obsolescence of talk radio because it doesn't change anything. It doesn't do anything. It just and it provides a very useful service of information, but it doesn't affect any change. It just doesn't. It's not geared up for that. It's geared for you to talk and complain. Talk radio is the definition of raising complaining to an art form. <laughs> there I said it, as Mark Levin would say. Talk radio is the definition of raising complaining to an art form. Let me move on. Equality, not elitism. Next section. The 2016 election, and particularly Hillary Clinton's suggestion that those who wouldn't vote for her were, quote, deplorables, drew attention to the lamentable fact that America has become increasingly stratified. That means layered. With some people elevated and deferred to improperly, while others are denigrated or ignored. This is not what America is supposed to be. It was founded on the belief that ordinary adults should have an equal say about how they are governed and by whom. Gee, that sounds familiar. (laughs) You know, ordinary adults should have an equal say about how they are governed and by whom. Welcome to Action Radio, Washington Examiner. The left wants power put into the hands of supposed experts, by which it means credentialed people who share its views. Its claim to, quote, believe in science, in contrast to opponents who reject it, is a flimsy falsehood. Those on the left are at least as likely to reject empirical evidence as anyone else is when it does not fit their favorite narrative. Examples are legion, but their climate alarmism, fear of genetically modified foods, abortion uh, extremism and pretzel contortions on gender all spring to mind, as does their refusal to accept empirical data abundant in the dismal science of economics. 
I'm wondering if economics is a science or an art. <laughs> I'm not convinced yet. And I've got a, I've got a bachelor's degree in it, but that was from a, a Marxist university program. So, you know, this is why I know so much about communist economics because I was forced to study it, you know, for this alleged mar- you know, education program. That, that's another story too. We'll talk about that some other day too. Uh, but I uh, see, I don't believe that they're talking about fear of genetically modified foods. Um, that, yeah, no, it's, um, no, no, no. I, I don't have a fear of genetically modified foods. I just don't want them. So I don't think he quite meant to say that, but he did. Anyway, I have to do something real quick here. Let me, um, I got an email that just came in. Okay, good. All is well. All right, there we go. Life is good. I'm happy. And I shall continue on with this uh, article here. Let's talk about experts for a bit. Because remember when I had a caller that said, well, you're not an expert. You know, you don't follow the science. Well, they're experts and they're experts. I mean, just because someone is an expert, does that mean they can't be wrong? If they're an expert, does that, mean, does that not mean they will say anything that the government policy tells them to say? If they're an expert for the government, are they not required by that government to be an expert and say whatever policy the government wants? If you work for the government and you're in, you're in NOAA, the weather folks, you're required to believe in, in climate change whether or not you believe it or not. You're required to say that you do. If you want money from the government in terms of meteorology or weather research, you are compelled to be in favor of the climate change theory, regardless of whether you believe in it or not. So the idea that somebody's an expert, I would divide experts into two, two classifications, you know, uh, ex- private experts and government experts. And I would look at them differently. So if you, t- if you think of an expert as somebody that has the credentials for the job that makes them an expert, in other words, a PhD or equally high thing like that, you're a qualified expert. But it doesn't mean that an expert is right. Experts are wrong all the time, constantly. Look at Dr. Fauci, which we collectively call Dr. Fascist around here. But you look at him. Now, is he wrong on purpose or is he wrong by accident? I think he's wrong on purpose because he has an agenda. But he's an expert. He's a recognized expert in what he does. Even though he only has a medical degree, he has no advanced medical degrees. He hasn't seen a patient in, what, 40 years. Uh, And uh, he's never acquired a specialty. He's not a virologist. He's not a microbiologist. He's not a molecular biologist. He's not a geneticist. He's not any of the things that he reports to talk about, you know, as, uh, as the head of the National Institutes of Health uh, uh, Infectious Disease branch. So he's uniquely unqualified for what he does. So is he, in fact, an expert? I would say no. The only thing he's qualified to be is a general practitioner, according to his medical degrees. So now what do you do? So this idea that somebody's an expert is used as a weapon. It's like the weapon. Here's a new term for you, the weaponized expert. Okay, so are you a weaponized expert? Have you do you have credentials that you can use to beat other people over the head with or that other people can beat over the head with? Well, I can't believe, uh, you know, uh, Judy Mikovits when, when she talks about, uh, you know, uh, the truth about COVID because Dr. Fauci is the expert. Oh, give me a break. You know, um, the doctors and he, 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 let me let me put it this way. So here's the difference in experts. The government experts, you know, um, told people they had to go on remdesivir and ventilators. And most of those people died tragically. Okay, and yet those are the government experts. The private doctor experts put people on ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin C, vitamin D3, azithromycin, uh, steroids, various other things. I think monoclonal antibodies and whatever treatments they had. Okay, those people lived. So, so let me know. So, so who are the experts? The doctors that that uh, treated and cured people, or the uh, the the experts that killed people? They're both experts. So you tell me, what does the qualification of expert really mean? Not a whole lot. I want results. So if you're an expert, show me results. Okay, so what are the results of your expertise? Back, I'm going to start using that from now on. So someone says, well, so-and-so is an expert. I said, well, what are the results? What are the results of their expertise? What have they demonstrated with their expertism? Is that a word? It is now. 
It's a fascinating paragraph here. All right. Back to economics. <laughs> then he says, then, of course, there is the fact that the experts were repeatedly both certain and wrong in the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, I, I feel like I'm anticipating every, every paragraph. I mean, I read this a while back, I mean, but it's, it's, it's a long article. And uh, this is why I like to sometimes not read articles ahead of time on the show. So I, I'm hitting it as you're hitting it spontaneously and you get my spontaneous reaction, which I think in many ways is more interesting. All right. They, back to the article. They told us to close schools and wipe surfaces obsessively. The first was damaging. The second, merely useless. Both were wrong. Yet somehow, ordinary people still expected, are still expected to trust the experts and cease their valid questioning. Beyond the effort to shift power to an expert elite is dislike of ordinary people deciding freely to live as they please. The adulation and respect afforded to Hollywood, perhaps the most left liberal community of all, and the lionizing of entertainers as though they were especially qualified by celebrity to pronounce on policy matters is a baneful symptom of this phenomenon. Real equality, as opposed to elitism, trusts ordinary citizens. It takes advice from experts, but insists that elected representatives are the proper people to balance competing needs and make policy choices. Equality does not delegate democratic authority to experts, removing it from those to whom have chosen to do that job. Oh, voters have chosen, excuse me. Let me say that sentence again. Equality does not delegate democratic authority to experts, removing it from those whom voters have chosen to do that job. This must remain a country that rejects princes or potates. It must be a country of laws. Equality before the law should be the only enforced equality. Okay, let me make this really clear, because I know this is going to be uh, uh, discouraged, disparaged, and people are going to lie about Action Radio. What they're going to say is, you just want to be a dictator. You just want to write the laws yourself. And I've specifically said over and over and over again, and I would continue to say it over and over and over again, we are participating in the constitutional process. We send all of our bills to legislators. They are the ones elected by the people to make the policy decisions. We can judge those policy decisions in elections, but it is up to the legislators, the duly elected representatives of the people to be a check on action radio. Quite frankly, they are the check on us. They are the check, not on us, not just on us, but anybody who aspires to be a dictatorship, anybody who aspires to write laws saying you have to do this. We wrote these laws We're we, the people we're sovereign citizens. We can, we can tell you what to do. Well, that's just as bad as the military dictatorship or an elitist dictatorship. All these are dictatorships. So Action Radio, being within the constitutional system, purposely puts all of our laws to the legislature for them to hold hearings, for them to study, for the duly elected representatives of the people to consider the bills that we put forward, that we say these are the bills we consent to be governed by. Because I guarantee you there's a lot of people that do not consent to be governed by the bills that we put forward. Because they're elitists and they believe in, in tyranny as opposed to freedom. So that's who we're opposing. I believe that most people reading our bills will support our bills because our bills are freedom and they're for everybody. Our bills, our bills are simple. They're easy to understand. They're usually one, maybe two pages. They concentrate on a single subject. They're written in plain English and they always, always, always increase our freedom. So the only way I believe that you can be against the bills that we write is because you're against freedom. And that's okay. You can be against freedom. But hopefully there's more of us that will lobby against you so that you don't take away our freedom. And our biggest obstacle to freedom is our own government. It's going to be interesting to see how this works out. But that's why I always make 
uh, the consistent statement that we operate within the constitutional system, we write our bills that we consent to be governed by, and submit them for consideration to the duly elected representatives of the people, whether it be Congress, the state legislatures, the local school boards, county commissions, or city councils. That's how we work at Action Radio. And I'm never going to change that. Anybody that wants to change it is not going to be a part of Action Radio. That's just the, that's the way it is. Okay, so yeah, that's, I mean, as long as I'm here breathing, you know, and have a voice, that's the way it's going to stay. All right. Yeah, hopefully we don't get hijacked down the road, you know, like uh, the Civil Rights Movement got hijacked by uh, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, um, Louis Farrakhan, and some other folks, you know, who stole it from Martin Luther King. Hopefully that won't happen to us. It may, and it's going to be up to you to, to put it back on the straight and narrow, but uh, at that point I won't be here, so it will be out of my hands. It'll be in your hands. All right. True equality also means respecting life, supporting the most vulnerable among us, including those unborn and those in decline at the end of their lives. Yeah, most of us, uh, you know, first of all, once we're born, at some point we're going to have a decline at the end of our lives. Uh, that's the way life is. So what are you going to do? Huh? Where, where, where are your values? Where are your morals? You know, is life sacred? Article says Americans are consistently more likely to say that abortion should be legal only in certain circumstances than to say than to say it should be legal in all circumstances. Yeah, we went over that yesterday pretty pretty extensively. Article says, in other words, they reject the mantra that it is simply a matter of a woman's choice. The the inegalitarian assertion that vulnerable people have less claim to society's protection amounts to the tyrannical idea that might makes right. Now, there you go. There's no such thing as a right to abortion. You can't have a right because you can't have a right over somebody else. You simply can't. That's just how it works. Okay. So if you believe you have a right over somebody else, you know, then you're not talking about rights. You're talking about power. You're talking about the might makes right. Yeah, we've talked a lot about abortion. We'll get back to that uh, because it's a a huge topic. One of the messiest, by the way, there's no, I mean, you know, things like uh, gun control, Second Amendment issues, you know, economic things, things like that are pretty easy. You know, for, I, I can see very clearly, you know, really blatant, clear solutions. Abortion? Abortion's a mess. Too many people involved, too many different feelings, too many, uh, it's a mess. Anyway, next part of this is community and family. Article says the American family has never been weaker. The percentage of the population living in married households has never been lower. While most people still want to get married, they're being forced to wait longer than ever, shrinking the window for couples to make the next generation. With marriage in decline, our birth rate has fallen precipitously. We are not having enough children to sustain ourselves as a people. A nation that doesn't reproduce itself is a dying nation. Yeah, a lot of that's government policy. So, why do we, so what are the policies that, that take away from our, our continuing ourselves? Abortion is one. We've already mentioned that. Taxes, taxing so high that people you know, have to wait long, a long time to build enough income to have families. Okay. You know, we used to, in the 50s, taxes were low. And one person, usually the man, you know, you know, I don't think it has to be the man, obviously, um, but uh, one person could work and one person could take care of kids and support a family. And you still had a house, a car or two. You could take vacations. And sometimes people even had a second home or a cottage on one income. Well, that's the world we need to get back to. And the way you do that is you lower the taxes. And you have everybody work. <laughs> you, know, you can't pay people not to work. Back to the article, a Washington, the Washington Examiner will fight widespread efforts to undermine families. There is an active effort by today's cultural revolutionaries to dismantle the traditional family. Black Lives Matter, a Marxist organization embraced by gentry liberals and extraordinarily by their churches, says the traditional family is a racist institution until it became politically expedient to hide this agenda item. BLM proudly displayed it on their organization's website. The traditional family in which mothers and fathers raise children is the most effective social, social 
cultural, educational, and healthcare institution of all. The Washington Examiner will support policies that foster family formation and parental authority, which promote freedom and resist central control. I'm curious to see how they do that, actually. Let's see uh, how, how they promote families. <laughs> it's like that line. Remember the movie The Firm? Um, <laughs> Tom Cruise and somebody who I can't remember who I only saw in that film and the firm, the, the, the Tom Cruise wife in the movie um, talks to the wife of one of the people who's already in the, the firm and, and the, 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 the friend says, you know, the firm encourages children <laughs> and Tom Cruise's wife says, well, how do they do that exactly? <laughs> this is a question I have for the Washington Examiner. How exactly are you going to do that? We'll see. It says, beyond the family, it is important that decisions be left as often as possible to authorities that are closest to the people governed by them. As few responsibilities as possible should be delegated by the local and voluntary bodies to the upper reaches of government. That means charities, community groups, churches, towns, counties, and states should shoulder most responsibilities as the Constitution either prescribes or implies. That would be the 10th Amendment. By the federal government to arrogate states' rights should be fought back. Yeah, states' rights is huge. Uh, and I would include education. Uh, there's no purpose of education in the federal government because it's not delegated to them. It's simply not. You know, there's nothing in the Constitution that says they have anything, they can have anything to do with education, public health, uh, a national police force, which would be the FBI. There's a bunch of things in the federal government. In fact, I don't see any place in the federal government where any member of the federal government can be armed. Now, I'm not talking about the military here. I'm talking about the government. Two separate things. The military is under the government, but it's a separate entity. Of course, the military has to be armed. That would be absurd to think otherwise. But tell me, where, where in the Constitution does it say that anybody in the federal government has the constitutional authority to be armed? Interesting question, right? I'll tell you one place I know it, it would cover it. It would be the Secret Service, who not only protects the president, um, but uh, goes after counterfeiters. There are only three crimes. Remember, there's three crimes that the Constitution covers. Piracy, treason, and counterfeiting. Counterfeiting is the responsibility of the Secret Service, so they have to be armed for that. All right, treason. Yeah, I think the Secret Service could arrest traitors too, depending on how big the Secret Service gets, or the U.S. Marshals. So in that respect, they would be armed for the purpose of arresting traitors. Okay, and the third one, um, piracy. <laughs> well, piracy, you know, on the air and sea or the land, is the responsibility of uh, the Army on land, the the Navy at sea, and the Air Force in the air, plus the National Guards and the Coast Guard. So that's out of the jurisdiction of the regular federal government bureaucrats, too. So there's no, there's no reason for anybody in the federal government to be armed except for the Secret Service and the U.S. Marshals. And I wrote a bill to that effect. You know, I'm actually going to finish this, this article. I can't believe I'm going to get through it. This is kind of cool. All right. Fairness and justice. Increasingly, people are condemned based on accusations alone, often without evidence or the right of reply. This is especially so on university campuses and on social media, but it is fast overwhelming workplaces, too. Fairness and justice demand due process. They also demand appropriate law enforcement, which requires supporting police forces in principle and in practice with proper funding and training. The Washington Examiner will expose lies intended to erode support for the police. It will oppose sanctuary cities, promote order and public safety, and reject vandalism and all forms of violence as illegitimate political weapons. It will demand respect for the rule of law and that political and civic authorities foster and demonstrate high standards of public behavior. It will call out dishonest and hypocritical news coverage. <laughs> that should be interesting for a news organization. No, I love it. Finally, the electoral foundation of our democracy must also be fair. Okay, I've got to stop using the word democracy. 
You've got, I got, I'm going to talk to them about that. Guys, you can't use the word democracy. We are not a democracy. We are guaranteed by Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, a Republican form of a government, which means a constitution, limited government, okay? Defined rights. That's what defines a republic. A democracy is defined, of, defined as anything goes if you've got a majority of the population. Any right can be taken away in a democracy. Any property can be taken away in a democracy. Any person can be victimized in a democracy. Why? If the majority wants you victimized, you know, they can take your stuff. Like people who earn more money than other people. Okay? Any, anything like reparations or, or redistribution of income or government borrowing outrageous amounts of money, all those things can be done. Or unlimited government power or gulags, throwing people in the D.C. gulag. If the majority wants it, that's okay in a democracy. A lynch mob, as we talked about earlier, is the primo example of a democracy. No evidence, no due process, no arraignment, no jury trial, no, no rules of, of uh, you know, court proceedings, no, no determination of guilt or innocence. A lynch mob is a democracy. I'll leave you with that thought, too. Finally, the electoral foundation of our democracy must also be fair. This means protecting election integrity with voter ID. Yeah. So, okay, so besides the fact they use the word democracy, this means protecting election integrity with voter ID. We have a bill to that effect. We have a bill that calls for fingerprint voter ID. You know, this is why I say the government, in taking away the government from you, that's the whole point of this election, of, take, of stealing the election, steals your ability to have any impact on government whatsoever. So I had a contention a while back, and I wrote this on Facebook a couple of days ago, that the federal government seeks to be a completely separate entity, separate from you. In fact, if they... If they choose the government that they want for themselves, they become a separate entity. So the federal government in Washington is actually you know, a completely separate being unto itself, and that's part of the problem. So one of the first things we need to do, and I forgot where this was. It might have been earlier in this article, or some, I think it was something I might have read yesterday, that you need to disperse the federal government outside Washington because they're too close together. They're too insulated. They're too much of the same people. You need to put, I don't know, let me see, put the Pentagon in uh, El Paso. That'd be good. Let's put uh, Health and Human Services in Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, you know, we could put, um, I don't know, what's another good thing to do? Um, think, of, think of a government department. Just move them. Look at all the places we could move places. Puerto Rico, Guam. You know, we could move, uh, we could move our government to all kinds of places. Portland, Maine, you know, Kansas, <laughs> you know, Seattle. <laughs> There's a lot of places we could move parts of our federal government and disperse them. Uh, let's put the FBI in Portland, Maine. That'd be a good place for them. Let's put, uh, you know, let's put the Supreme Court in Seattle. <laughs> I'm sorry. This just amuses me to think about this stuff. Conclusion. I'm actually getting the conclusion. I'm sort of trying to time this because we have uh, uh, State Senator Wendy Rogers coming on at 11. In fact, if she's listening, you want to call in early. You can call in any time at this point. Uh, I'm pretty much done. And then I'm going to play you something uh, briefly to sort of cover our time before Senator Rogers calls in. I'm really excited to talk to her. Again, she's one of my heroes, so this is, this is going to be fun. And besides, I'm sick of talking. I've talked too much of the show already. Conclusion of this amazing article, this long list is far from comprehensive, which shows that much work needs to be done. America has, has been and can again be the apothesis of civilized liberal democracy. <sighs> That's those words again. But powerful and determined antagonists have pushed its finest values to the sidelines. The country has become almost unrecognizable to many of its own citizens. Appalling as our position has become and alarming as our trajectory, trajectory continues to be, the response of those who love this nation should not be to sink into dismayed resignation. 
The grim landscape of our politics and culture is not an invitation to hopelessness and apathy, but is rather a call to action. Action Radio. It is a call not to violence, but quite the reverse, a call for steady strength, resolution, and courage among ordinary people to demand that decades of, de- of despoilation cease and that America return to the path that brought it so swiftly to global, global preeminence. That's our citizen legislature. A bright future of continued success is there for the taking, but it requires the decent, moderate, tolerant, outgoing, and well-meaning people, that's you folks, who make up the majority of America's 330 million inhabitants to realize that they are in charge, and knowing this, to stand up and take it. And that's Hugo Gurdon, editor-in-chief of the Washington Examiner, G-U-R-D-O-N. And he's got sections on patriotism and unity, faith, freedom, self-reliance, courage, strength, and optimism. He goes through all the things that he went through, the different sections, all through this article. This is incredible. This is an amazing piece. So now I have to look up <laughs> Restoring America <laughs> you know, and find out what this is all about and uh, see how we, we of Action Radio, we the people, we the citizens of the United States can take part in this incredible, incredible exercise. All right, let me see if I've got something I can play for you. Do I have a, let's see if I have a really short interview. I've got 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, what do I do for 10 minutes? Uh, maybe I'll just vamp. Nothing's that short. My Matt Gates interview is 12 minutes. Oh, it's just a little bit too long. Just a bit. Because I don't, I don't want to leave Senator Rogers on hold for two minutes. So uh, we're going to talk. <laughs> Let me see if I can. Um, yeah, I've got a couple more things I can play for you. A little bit here. Let me see if I have something really short. Some of our funnier things. Let's play these two, and then I'll be I'll be uh, giving my what radio bit. Usually I play this at the end, but I'm going to play these right now. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. I know what I can do. <laughs> this is a rare moments. I, I have time. I don't have a lot of time. I got a little bit of time. I have nobody on the air to talk to. <laughs> I have one of my favorite people in the world about to call in. So what better time than to play these Stars and Stripes Forever? So here it is.
And the crowd goes wild. I say, there's nothing crazier in radio than, than waiting for a sneeze. <laughs> it's like I'm supposed to sneeze and I didn't quite get there. But anyway, that's how it goes. So let me just uh, put this here, put this here. Um, so I've got some Senator uh, Rogers' uh, bio here. So I'm going to go over that a little bit, give you a chance to uh, learn about her before she comes on. So uh, you get a pretty good idea of, of who this person is. So and it's right from her, her page, Wendy Rogers, you know, Arizona State Senate. And so her bio says, daughter of a long, time, long line of Army officers. In 1976, Lieutenant Colonel Wendy Rogers was commissioned as a fifth-generation military officer into the Air Force from Michigan State University with her bachelor's degree and then master's degree from the University of Alabama in clinical social work. See, that's interesting. I'm, uh, I don't think people know that aspect of her. I'm, I might explore that a little bit. She began her career treating patients in the U.S. Uh, Air Force Mental Health Clinic. 1981, Wendy Rogers became one of the first 100 women pilots in today's Air Force. By earning her wings at Williams Air Force Base in Arizona, following Air Force jet training, Wendy piloted worldwide airlift and humanitarian missions in the C-141 transport uh, jet for several years. C-141 is big. Uh, it's kind of comparable to, want to be a good comparison, 707. You know, it's a four-engine jet, not as big as the big C-5 Galaxy, um, but it's, it's smaller than that. But it still is a big, it was a big transfer first day, and it came before the C-5. Uh, Jeff, for several years, Wendy then served as a flight instructor for cadets at the U.S. Air Force Academy. Uh, the latter half of uh, Wendy's 20-year Air Force career uh, placed her overseas. While in Europe, Wendy piloted the Air Force C-21 Learjet. That's what I want. <laughs> and we have an Action Radio 1, have our own Learjet and led three different operational divisions at headquarters, U.S. Air Forces Europe. During the fall of the Berlin Wall and efforts to improve relations with former East Bloc countries, Wendy was deployed for six months downrange to run the Bosnian airlift. She finished her career with over 3,000 hours of jet time and numerous accommodations, including the Defense Meritorious Service Medal. After retiring from the U.S. Air Force in 1996, after 20 years of active duty, Wendy and her husband, Hal, also a retired Air Force officer, started their own home inspection business. Their crew of Arizona licensed home inspectors has worked throughout uh, Coconino, Yavapai, Pinnell, and Maricopa counties. Okay, I've totally botched those. (laughs) Uh, Still have to explain uh, Coconino, Yavapai. Uh, Pinal and Maricopa counties. Obviously, those are uh, American Indian names. Hal is an electrical engineer who originally grew up on a Holstein dairy farm milking cows twice daily since age 18. So that's it. So, but it says also, in addition to her degrees in social work, Wendy holds second math degree in national security studies from Cal State San Bernardino. Wendy and Hal homeschooled their children, George and Emily, during their elementary years. George and Emily then graduated from Arizona Public Charter School, high school, and were merit scholarship. ASU Barrett Honors College Sun Devils. There we go. Anyway, I'm going to skip the bio because she'll be calling in in just a minute here. But uh, that's it. So Air Force social, uh, the Air Force social work contrast, I think, is kind of interesting. And so I'm going to make, you know, in my many, many, many notes uh, that I have here, I'm just wondering how social work, uh, how that plays into, uh, you know, being a representative. So we shall see. Then, of course, you know, America first is, is the biggie. And we'll talk about that a little bit, too. So social work. Yeah, okay. There we go. Okay. So, again, just waiting for my uh, mom. It should be anytime now. It being the hour of 11 o'clock, so hopefully she's listening. Uh, and will give us a shout here uh, anytime now, so we shall see. All right. That's, um, yeah, I'm pretty much vamping here <laughs> because, uh, like I said, this is tough. It, it's one of those things in radio. You hear about it, you know, where uh, – all of a sudden, you have all these guests planned. You think, oh, I don't have to do much. I've got guests. I can do that. And that's, that's pretty much how our Thursdays used to go. 
Thursdays used to be pretty incredible here um, because we had these amazing doctors, Judy Mikovits. We had, um, uh, you know, uh, Brian Artis, uh, Ben Marble for a while, uh, Jim Thorpe, uh, John Cullen, the data guy, and all these different people that joined us. And that work has not stopped. And so a lot of what we're going to do um, is, is get to uh, the bills that we talked about on the show, particularly vaccine product liability and changing Section 230 censorship. Uh, those are federal issues. So what we're going to talk to, to Wendy Rogers about are state issues, particularly the state of Arizona, particularly what's going on in Arizona, what makes Arizona unique you know, in the world. And so that's going to be, that's going to be a big deal also. Um, so what I might do, because I, I, I don't know if she thinks we have a news break or not, um, so let me just do a quick uh, email to her. You know, in other words, so let's do it. And just a quick message, you know, just slide this over a little bit just in case she's calling in while I'm doing this. Uh, yeah. All right, yeah, I'll send that right after. Okay, fine. Anyway, so about the future of Action Radio. We've got some amazing guests. I've got an amazing guest tomorrow. I'm going to hold back a little bit because it's such an amazing guest. I don't want to, a million people calling in and clogging up all our lines. And so we're going to, it's, it's going to be fascinating. My goal, uh, let me give you a little sort of a, a plan for the future of Action Radio. What I'm hoping to do is to take all our ideas and all of our bills, all of our bills and work uh, directly with the Trump campaign for 2024. Now, it's not official yet. He hasn't declared. Uh, he's like all but declared. You know, everybody's saying he's declared. You listen to Dick Morris on Newsmax. You know, he's very much uh, into um, declaring for, you know, uh, for president. But he hasn't officially done it yet, so I'm not going to say so. But ideally, he will run. He will win. And hopefully, it will have a large part in that because of everything that I just read with Restoring America, um, because of all the things that the Washington Examiner talked about that needs doing. And it was a fascinating article. And it's amazing how many things that they talk about that need doing that we're doing. So this to me is incredible. And, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm really impressed with their article, but I'm also glad that everything that I thought it was a good idea that needed doing, there's a lot of confirmation out there. There's a lot of folks that are waiting for, for something to happen and they're not quite sure what to do. And this is why I think Action Radio is such a great position for all the things that we can do um, to make this happen. And so there's my special guest. And so what I'm going to do is find my, uh, re-scroll back up here and let's get to our guest of the day. State Senator Wendy Rogers. So when you think of America first, you know, unapologetically, unabashedly, absolutely America first, something that I never would have thought would have been controversial, you know, this person comes to mind. State Senator Wendy Rogers of Arizona is one of my heroes. And so uh, because of that, uh, through a whole bunch of connections, we were nice enough to get a hold of her and have her on the show today. And so I'd like to welcome Wendy Rogers to Action Radio. How are you doing? Great to be with you, Greg. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Let's give you a cheer right away for everything that you do. And I just want to let you go and tell the story, you know, the latest, what's happening, what's going on in Arizona, what's going on with you, what's going on with, with elections, and just let us know what's happening. Take all the time you want. Well, uh, I'm talking to you from um, Phoenix area near the capital. I represent mm-hmm. northern and central Arizona, four different rural counties, uh, not Maricopa County. And um, by way of background, I'm a retired Air Force 
uh, Lieutenant Colonel, one of the, the first women pilots in the Air Force. I've been in office uh, for two years as an Arizona senator, and now, of course, am uh, uh, running for re-election. Uh, we're very uh, blessed to have an America First array of candidates running here in Arizona, Carrie Lake for governor, uh, Mark Fincham for Secretary of State, Abe Hamaday for Attorney General, and uh, of course Blake Masters for the United States Senate, and then my congressman-to-be, hopefully Eli Crane, uh, Navy SEAL for U.S. Congress. So we're very uh, fortunate. All of us have been endorsed by President Trump. Wow. How'd you end up in Arizona? Is there something about Arizona that, that uh, you know, promotes people that are, are so America first? I mean, Carrie Lake, I've, I've been watching her for a while, and uh, I'm curious about her, for how she got from journalism into politics. And she's just so outstanding and so direct. She's like you. You know, you see what you, what's on your mind. You don't hold back. And it's just incredible. But Carrie, I was just writing these names down. Carrie Lake, Mark Fincham, you know, um, Blake Masters, uh, who I guess had a great debate recently, and Eli Crane I'm not as familiar with. And then you had one other person, I think, Secretary of State. How did you all get from the same state? How did that happen? Well, it's interesting. As you said, Carrie Lake um, came out of the journalism uh, broadcast arena. And people don't realize this, but she left her – 27 years on uh, local broadcast TV, uh, and then later decided to run for governor. It wasn't to run for governor. And so hmm. that's, she, she left in and of her own right because it was becoming so woke and um, left-leaning. And so she did that and then decided later, sometime later, to run for governor. The politics really wasn't something she had had in mind necessarily um, we uh, secondly, uh, we don't have a lieutenant governor mm-hmm. in Arizona. We do, do not have that position. I think we're don't quote me on this, but I think we're one of only six states remaining uh, that that do not have a lieutenant governor. We actually, incidentally, uh, voted to put that on the ballot. Uh, the concept of getting a lieutenant governor position uh, put in uh, that will be on our ballot this fall. And we passed that as a bill to put on the ballot uh, the last night of our session, which was uh, June 24th. So we'll see if voters uh, vote that concept in. I believe twice now voters have decided not uh, to do that. Uh, So (laughs) Arizonans are very hard scrabble independent people. And uh, we'll see if that gets voted in. I personally support it. But that is all to say that the Secretary of State is the next highest uh, position in our state government. And that, of course, we hope will be won by Mark Fincham, who is a uh, state representative in the House, a colleague, counterpart of mine, very fine man, uh, uh, retired uh, police officer, and extremely well-informed on what we need to do to uh, fix the fraud and corruption. And then, of course, yeah, that's what I'm Abe, talking about, because you've got the Secretary of State that plays a big part in the elections. And so if you want to expand on that a bit, I'm curious as to how that works in Arizona. Well, we have, yeah, we have Katie Hobbs now, who is, of course, running against Carrie Lake for governor. And mm-hmm. she's been absolutely awful and uh, won't, by the way, debate Carrie and has, you know, run and hidden from the press and, and any kind of questioning. Uh, but uh, Fincham will be wonderful. Uh, he's very okay. well-researched and policy-smart. Um, then we have Abe 
Hamaday, who is um, someone I've known since he was a young man. He's in his 30s now, uh, but I've known him for about 10 years. He's an Army officer. He's deployed to the Middle East. His uh, parents are uh, first-generation immigrants. Um, he was a uh, Maricopa County prosecuting attorney uh, and, and just strong and tough as nails. And I'm really looking forward to him being the attorney general and Carrie Lake being the governor because together uh, they have committed to uh, diving into the Arizona audit findings, which have been ignored by the current um, attorney general, Brnovich. And, of mm-hmm. course, uh, they will uh, ensure that the wall is built and that we stop the influx of illegal immigrants into our state. Wow. Um, there's a bunch of things here. Any any news on, on um, things that might happen? Because we all watch the audit. I'm just curious uh, what you do from there. So is this a personality thing? Because like you said, with the, the current attorney general, not a lot was done with that. How much, how much can a different attorney general make in terms of that? Oh, huge. Um, right now, okay. the findings are uh, wrapped up in a package with a bow on top sitting on a shelf, as it were. And uh, Carrie Lake and Nave Hamaday, as I say, uh, have committed to diving into this and ensuring that that we look at it. There were so many anomalies. Here's the the deal, folks. Everyone will tell you, oh, you know, the Arizona audit findings uh, never saw, uh, were never looked at in court. None of this uh, fraud and corruption um, was looked at in court. And um, the point of that is it never had standing. It wasn't that evidence was presented. It was that evidence never could get uh, presented. And I liken it to the analogy that I tell audiences. If you wake up in the morning, say, for example, and you go out to get your morning paper and you notice your driveway is wet, how did that happen? Did your sprinklers go off during the night? Did your neighbor's sprinklers go off during the night and get your driveway wet? Uh, Did it rain last night? Uh, Did a prankster come over with a garden hose during the night and and wet down your driveway? There are four plausible explanations right there for why Mm -hmm. your driveway is wet. So the evidence is your driveway is wet, but you can't get an investigation into why or how that happened unless you have standing in a court and then investigative uh, powers to pursue. None of that, none of the investigation portion ever was able to happen on all of this evidence that we had. And so people say, well, the Arizona audit showed that when you counted Biden's votes, it still showed that he won. That's ridiculous because here's the other analogy to that. If you have a $1,001 bill, and you recount them, you're going to get a 1,000 every time. But if, say, 400 of them are counterfeit, it's, as Fincham says, irredeemably compromised. And so why you have to have standing in a court and then have an investigation to dig down into how and why uh, the evidence is what it is. And so that's what Abe Hamaday and Carrie Lake uh, essentially have committed to do. And until then, we don't know what happened in 2020 and thereby cannot repair it for 2024. 
We've said the same thing here on the show many times that until 2020 is corrected, and we call it the, the, the great election correction, uh, you really can't move on because you don't know where you were, so you don't know where you're going. And this whole idea of standing, we've talked about that, uh, John Mosley, our legal uh, reporter and attorney, uh, many, many times we've gone over that. Standing is like an excuse for the courts to not deal with something they don't want to deal with. And I heard this, I don't know how Arizona fares, but maybe you can tell me, that many of the courts across the country, including the Supreme Court, which had the Texas election case, they just decided not to take it. And so it's not that the evidence wasn't there, it's that it was never examined. It was just never, never given, and the excuse was standing. But standing, I'd love to talk to Abe about this, you know, just the legal, uh, is that a way the courts are using to not deal with something that they really you know, are constitutionally mandated to deal with? Because that's what it looks like to me. You've precisely uh, described it properly, yes. And so, and here's the other piece, mm-hmm. two other pieces. The canvas, the, the, the voter rolls as they are, uh, that, they are very uh, corrupted also. And uh, Liz Harris, who's a great patriot uh, here in Arizona, had a team go door-to-door in mm-hmm. uh, a handful of precincts in Maricopa County and found hundreds of thousands of wrongly entered uh, data points in the canvas, the, the voter rolls. And so that is where cumulatively the left has uh, more and more corrupted our, our elections. So you have yeah. the canvas, the voter rolls, which happen all the way leading up to the election. And then you have the election itself, which is the other piece uh, that gets corrupted any number of ways, drop boxes, uh, mm-hmm. the machines, uh, the corrupt officials at the polling locations, just the signature verification, the spoilage of ballots. It's just there are so many ways that they stole this election. I'm absolutely convinced Trump won hugely, and there were nine ways to Tuesday that it was corrupted, yet Biden exceeded Trump by only 10,300 votes in Arizona, which was very slim considering all the ways that they likely uh, cheated. So now the answer, yes, we still have the machines. Yes, we still have the drop boxes. But the way you even overcome that is to Mm -hmm. vote on Election Day only. Vote on Election Day only so that we overwhelm them on Election Day and they don't know how much to cheat by. Yeah, and we studied this very carefully. In fact, I actually had uh, General McInerney on the show uh, before the 2020 election, and he basically outlined exactly what was going to happen. You know, so when the uh, the counting stopped and when the, the observers were taken out and everything that happened happened, you know, at, at Action Radio, we kind of knew it would, it would happen. We kind of had a preview of exactly how it went. It was scary how accurate he was. So the real question, though, is this time. You know, and I call it outvoting the fraud. You know, how can you... Uh, create a situation where you have so many people voting, so many people on election day vote, the counting is done and there's no break in the counting, you know, the, the, the results, you know, and we have a a theory here of counting where cast. So in other words, wherever the vote is cast, that's where it gets counted. That's where it gets recorded. That's where the results go out from. No transport. Go ahead. We put in a a bill to do that. um, Okay. To have it counted by hand at the precinct. And of course, you know, that didn't pass. We have had Hmm. a very, let me talk, Arizona Senate uh, drama right now. Mm-hmm. We have yeah, had only a one vote, a one vote majority, 16 Republican to 14 Democrats uh, these past two years. And so you say, well, that's two vote majority. It's actually only a one vote majority. 
uh, in a sense, because if one Republican decides to have a bad day and go over and vote with the Democrats and a bill comes down 15-15, it dies. There is no tiebreaker, as there is in the U.S. Senate. And so we have just a one-vote majority. Now, having said that, we hope that that will uh, improve for Republicans because of redistricting, which, of course, occurs every 10 years per the U.S. Constitution. And we hope to have 18 Republican seats at the end of the day uh, to 12 Democrats. But we don't know because, of course, the general uh, election is still to come. And um, uh, so there's that. Uh, Secondly, I hope to be the chair of the government committee and thus Mm. through through me, through that committee, will pass the corrective measures of of types of legislation uh, to fix a lot of these uh, fraud and corruptive measures. Now, um, we did get one bill passed that demands voter ID, and that would have made the difference on 35,000 ballots, and presumably Trump would have won had that been in place. Uh, But the DOJ is even uh, challenging that. Our Arizona law that our governor signed, uh, the DOJ is challenging. So this points to the fact that states are absolutely pivotal, elemental in getting our country back. And the DOJ, the, the feds know this, and they do everything to undercut states' rights. But that's the only way we're going to get our country back is asserting states' rights. Well, my reading of the Constitution is that the state legislatures control the federal election. You determine the electors, you send them in, and it's really up to the states. So let's talk about that for a minute. What can Arizona do? What can you do as a state? What can you do in the state legislature? So uh, let's let's assume the best case scenario, Carrie Lake, Mark Fincham. Uh, I don't Blake Masters in the Senate, but, uh, you know, and Abe Hannity, I'm probably getting your names wrong, but let's say you get in, you can do what you can do. You know, how much effect can you have in Arizona to make the best election you can in Arizona, have that be a model for other states and have the feds not be able to have the impact that they want to have to change the results of your election and your determination of the electors? Uh, Right. Uh, We can and will. And if I have anything to say about it, uh, we will do numerous bills uh, to to correct Mm -hmm. all these things that have been distorted. And also, you have to have consequences. You can say it should be done thus and such a way, but unless you have punitive consequences, uh, Mm -hmm. it will be flouted. And so that's why you have to put teeth into these uh, laws. And um, this is what we lacked before because we needed consensus and we needed uh, 16, (laughs) uh, you know, Republicans. Well, you know, it's funny because it's it's sad, actually, honestly, because the leadership thus far has been of the opinion, well, I'm not going to put it up on the voting board uh, unless we have 16 votes. I say put it up there, irrespective, because then the malcontents are seen for who they are and will have to face the voters, which also speaks to this whole notion of who do you work for? And I get pummeled a lot when I'm down at the uh, Capitol, Mm -hmm. at the Senate, or have been the last year in particular, 
uh, because I don't go along to get along. I don't take money from lobbyists, which is very unusual. I think I'm the only politician who can say that. And so lobbyists uh, who largely control the agenda or try to uh, think I'm a real, uh, you know, uh, problem child, that's fine. They can think that all day. Uh, But I don't work for the governor. I don't work for the Senate president. I don't work for my colleagues. And least of all, do I work for lobbyists. I work for my constituents. And they know that and they reelect me uh, resoundingly. I won my primary against another sitting state senator by almost 20 points. And she had been in office for 10 years. And um, I'm the one that President Trump endorsed. And I'm the one who uh, gets donations from all 50 states because they don't have a Wendy Rogers to fight for them. And they know that Arizona is at the pointy tip of the sword. And as Arizona goes, thus goes the nation. And so some little old lady in tennis shoes in Connecticut who sends me $25 a month, I'm, I'm her hero because I fight. I really fight hard and I'm known to be uh, a fighter and, um, that's why Carrie Lake and I get along so well. She's a fighter. She and I talk, and she does not back down either. You know, it's fascinating because you are a national figure. You know, even though you're a state senator, the impact that you have goes way beyond Arizona. And a lot of people look to you because, as I said in the introduction, unabashedly, unapologetically, America first. There is no doubt in your mind that America first is a priority. And that kind of conviction, I think, inspires a lot of people. They don't have that. I have that. I mean, this show, Action Radio, is unabashedly, unapologetically America first. I don't understand why making America great again and America first is even controversial. 20 years ago, nobody questioned that maybe 30 or 40 years ago, you know, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think, of course, it's America first. You know, the greatest generation that fought World War II. Are you kidding? You said anything but America first? You'd have some real problems. So we've changed as a society, but we can change it back again. And this is where I see you as such a pivotal you know, place in the country right now. Do you feel that national responsibility? Do you, do you, does it change anything about what you do at the state level? Or, or is it like kind of a dual thing? where you have a national and a state responsibility. How do you, how do you, how do you handle that? Because you really are being looked up to by a lot of people, me included. Well, thank you for that. I do feel it, although most of the time it, it doesn't really sink in, I guess. I mean, when I travel during this interim, i.e. The, the off season when we're not in session, it sort of does hit me here and there. Um, mm-hmm. We were at Mount Rushmore for the evening light show with another couple who had lived in Arizona who now live in South Dakota. And this other couple came up to me and said, are you Wendy Rogers? And I said, yeah. (laughs) And they said, we follow you on Telegram. And, (laughs) and, you know, and we chatted and I got their contact information and that kind of thing. And that's happened to me around the state, obviously. I mean, last year it happened in a little dive barbecue place in Kentucky, Mm. of all places. Um, Like, you look like Wendy Rogers. Well, I am Wendy Rogers. Oh, what are you doing here? I said, well, I was born here. I was just passing through to reminisce. You know, it was pretty stunning. I I had to think for a minute, wait, where am I? Are my magnets well, yeah, because you're on the road a lot. Sure I was traveling. thinking, yeah. yeah, so I was thinking, wait, am I in Arizona? Wait, why is this person asking me this? It was kind of funny. But, yeah, that those kinds of um, sort of one-off uh, occurrences happen. 
But mm-hmm. for the most part, I'm just concentrating. And and to your point, also, people say, don't you get discouraged? Everything's going to pot. I don't look at it that way. I get up every morning, I do my push-ups, and then I say to myself, what can I do uh, today to incrementally move the needle? And mm-hmm. uh, we have this concept, of course, called the Overton window, where you change the lexicon. You change the conversation by moving the needle, and you do it every day. So what I can do in Arizona, uh, as then impacting the nation, is mm-hmm. my is my job. And so we, my husband and I owned a small business, family business, for a number of years after we both retired from the military, uh, a home inspection business. We sold it. it. We had had it for 23 years. We sold it when I got elected two years ago, and we had a, a small uh, office building. We sold that so that we could concentrate on this. And my my husband still works for the little home inspection company. That was the handshake that he would stay on to coach the new uh, people learning the trade. Um, but we're, we're essentially focused on, on my um, being a senator and a voice for conservatism. And President Trump has been wonderful to me. He's gives me a shout out every time he's here. We, we chat. Um, he knows that Arizona is, is absolutely fundamentally mm-hmm. leading the way. Oh yeah. We're all watching. You're the only people, the, the only state that's had a decent audit. Um, I'll just be, be shamelessly self-promoting here. I'm hoping to get uh, uh, president Trump's endorsement. Also, he's, I don't think he's ever, we're the only citizen legislature, you know, in the world, as far as I know, attached to a radio show. So I'm hoping someday to connect with him myself and, and talk about some of the things we do here. Uh, there's a couple of issues I want to go over just because you're Arizona, mm-hmm. you're a border, you're a border state. I mean, you literally are on the Mexican border and I'm not sure how, how long that border is, but I know you're there. And, and Carrie Lake has talked about this, of, of declaring an invasion. And would you have a part in that? Or, or can you tell me what exactly is going to happen with that? Because I'm really curious. Well, I already have. I got $335 million appropriated to build the wall. Okay. And so it will be she who does it. Uh-huh. And it's, that money's there to build the wall. And uh, she absolutely should and will declare a state of invasion. I'm with her every step of that way. And um, she'll do it. Now you can build a, so this is an Arizona state wall on the Arizona border of the U.S. border of Mexico. I mean, how how does that that shake out legally? I'm just curious. Well, they can come for us uh, if they want to. It'll be on federal land. We've already, Doug Ducey, the current governor, has already mm-hmm. plugged gaps in the wall down in the Yuma sector on mm. federal land. So this whole notion of, of the feds coming after Carrie Lake because she builds the wall on federal land, let them come. This is why I like having you on. So we've talked about this on the show, too, and we've tried to, try to looking at the Constitution, looking at uh, what, where does the international border end and the state border begin? Because like the 14th Amendment, for example, says that citizens of the United States are also citizens of the state in which they reside, which means that non-citizens of the United States are not citizens of the state in which they reside. Arizona is a sovereign state. 
we've talked about the states in terms of countries at some point. In other words, saying that the country of Arizona as a way to identify that, that, that you are a sovereign entity, it's the United States, not the United States. In other words, the states are unified, um, but, they are, but they are still very independent within themselves and that you have a state border of Arizona. And so I think legally you're perfectly – you know, I can't see any company. And I'm not a lawyer, so I can't give you an official opinion. You should probably, you know, however you want to, to get that determined for the state. But as far as I can see, as, as, a, as a host here looking at this, as someone that you know, reads a lot of the Constitution and stuff like that, you can protect the Arizona border. You can protect the citizens of, of Arizona from people that have no legal right to be here. I don't see a conflict with that. We're going to do it, period. Okay, okay. Yeah. So what, what about the folks already there in Arizona? Can you, as a state, deal uh, with illegal aliens, or is that something you got to think about question. more? That's a good question. I yeah, know okay. that Kerry is not a fan of importing them into the interior, mm-hmm. so uh, you know we'll we'll deal with that. That's in process. It, it's really, uh, it, okay. yeah. I mean, I don't want to speak for her or for Abe, but uh, we'll deal with it. Okay. Let me know when you, when you find out. I'm curious. So we will we'll definitely take that up. Well, but, you'll uh, find out the minute her hand comes off the Bible. <laughs> then I'll be watching. The fur's okay. going to hit the fan, I'm telling you. Yeah, I, yeah, people yeah. don't, you know, we had an insurrection of 7,000 spoiled brats outside of our Arizona Senate the night of June 24th, which ended up being the last night of our, of our legislative session. You never mm-hmm. know until that, that night right. when you get all your business done. And these people tried to break into our Arizona Senate. Uh, the Department of Public Safety, uh, with whom I did a ride-along yesterday, which was great, uh, they stood firm and, and um, disallowed them from getting into our building. Uh, they were tear gassed outside. They tried to kick door in. If you go to my website, and I encourage you to do so, it's a very good website, wendyrogers.org. Mm-hmm. Wendy, like the hamburgers, W-E-N-D-Y, Rogers, like Mr. Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S dot org, dot org, Wendy Rogers dot org, and go through the news items back to the 25th of June, the morning after, you'll see little short uh, film snippets of what occurred that night, of them trying to kick the door in, of the state police keeping that from happening. It's, it's really emblematic of who we are. We're the 48th state. We're not having it. We're not letting them come into our capital. We carry, by the way, Mm -hmm. Arizona state senators, Arizona house reps, we're allowed to carry. And so you come in, you're going to have a, yes, you're going to have a problem, okay? So we don't let you in like January 6th happened. We're not going to let you uh, disrupt us serving the people. We went till 1 in the morning that night. Uh, to finish the people's business, whereupon we uh, voted in two hugely impactful bills, one of which is the ESA, Empowerment Scholarship Account Bill, mm-hmm. which enables um, any student, special needs or not, uh, to have a $7,000 per student allocation to go to the school of their parents' choice or be homeschooled, which four of my grandchildren are, uh, of our grandchildren are. So, mm-hmm. you know... We are the most forward-leaning school choice state in the country. We voted that bill in that night amidst uh, 7,000 insurrectionists outside trying to break into our building. And so the point of all this is to say, A, we're not having it in this state, and B, uh, 
that narrative never reached the rest of the country. No one knows or has heard about the fact that we staved off an insurrection because of who we are. We're state 48, okay? We're the youngest of the 48 states, but uh, we're very tough, and we're not going to put up with it. But you never, the other uh, 49 states in our country never heard about it because it doesn't fit the narrative. I don't care what the narrative is. Uh, Arizona is going to do the right thing. You know, that is fascinating because I hadn't heard of it until you mentioned it. And, and it's uh, and that's a real insurrection. I mean, we call, uh, the, you know, the Capitol Hill sort of almost like the invitational walk-in in Washington because the doors were open. You know, the, the, the police were like there saying, you know, they opened the doors to all the folks to come in and, and take selfies and things like that. So I'll tell you about that. I've got some, some theories on the, what happened January 6th. But this scholarship is fabulous. Now, is this a full... Uh, like a full uh, school choice thing? In other words, is it like a voucher for folks with lower income? They can go anywhere they want. Is it applicable to private schools, for uh, home schools? Irrespective, it, irrespective yeah, of your income. Irrespective okay. of your income, irrespective of the child's needs, mm-hmm. it's roughly $7,000 per child. If you're mm-hmm. homeschooled, if you want to go to a private school, uh, an online school, whatever. It's not just uh, special needs, which we have had it for uh, mm-hmm. for many years. And, of course, this just triggers the teachers' unions. In fact, what's, what happened afterward was uh, we also have this concept of a ballot initiative. If you get so many petition signatures, you can put something on the ballot. And so the uh, left-wing school uh, union people, there's a group called Save Our Schools, which is anything but. And uh, they had, yeah, that's they like the had Affordable Care Act. Uh, petitions. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they do. They euphemistically title these uh, efforts. And so they had little uh, petition sign up stations all over the state. Save mm-hmm. Our Schools, come and, and, and do away with the ESA. Uh, uh, bill that was signed and is about ready to to disperse money well mm-hmm. uh they weren't counting on the fact that esa families mobilized and stood by these petition sign-up stations to with signs saying decline to sign and then the esa families and their cute little kids would explain to passers-by when you sign this you're doing away was school choice, okay? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, the uh, deadline was in late September for this Save Our Schools initiative to turn in their petitions uh, with all these signatures, and they failed. They failed because hundreds of ESA families from around the state stood firm every weekend out in the very hot sun in most parts of where this occurred. I did it up in Flagstaff. Uh, to on a Sunday, and of course, people said awful things to my face, but I don't care. And yeah. uh, and and so we quelled this um, this initiative, and thus uh, the ESA uh, concept and the bill have stood fast. And also, Katie Hobbs herself, the Secretary of State, tried to stall on dispersing monies to families uh, because of the law having passed. And after the governor signs it, it takes 90 days to take effect because of the state constitution. And so after the 90 days, she still stalled on dispersing the monies because of this petition drive being um, possibly still able to thwart 
uh, the effort. And, of course, they didn't have the signatures, but she was just stalling just to be a jerk. And um, uh, the governor and the ESA families came out, did a press conference and said, release the money. And she did. There was a lot of pressure. My point is citizens Mm -hmm. like you guys, citizen legislatures, citizens in this case of of families um, together mobilized. And it was a Herculean effort, a dear friend of mine, Christine Accurso, uh, her her call sign on, on Twitter is at Arizona Catholic, all spelled out. Uh, but this is Evangelical Catholic LDS, a complete uh, conglomeration of ESA families. And they made the difference. They absolutely made the difference. They they not only stood with decline to sign uh, signs by these petition signature stations, but they uh, recorded and documented illegality, um, things that were said that were wrong, uh, paperwork that wasn't um, signed correctly or, or monitored correctly. They were like hawks in there, protecting their rights, standing up for their uh, law. And then, and then finally, these Save Our Schools people had the temerity to say, oh, you're not represented. Excuse me? You elect people like Wendy Rogers to go to work hard to get elected, then to go to the legislature and work hard with other legislators to get a bill through all the different wickets that we got to get it through, and then mm-hmm. to get the governor to sign it. We are a republic, okay? We're not a direct democracy. And you elected us to do all that, and we did. So don't tell me you're not represented. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the uh, the left realizes the, the contempt people have for the, the government school system. You know, the uh, people are forced to pay taxes. They pay property taxes. They, you know, and money comes to the government schools from the Fed, federal government, comes from the state government, comes from the, the local uh, taxes. And there's no choice. You know, you're in most places in the country. Um, I don't know if you're going to look into this or not, but uh, and maybe and maybe this scholarship, empowerment scholarship takes care of it. But most people have to go to the school in their zip code or wherever their zone is. They have to... Uh, they have to pay taxes whether or not they support a government school. They may not have the money after taxes to pay for another school. So anything you can do you know, to, to open this up to people, most people will choose a different education. They'll choose a private school, home school, maybe a public school for you know, band or sports or things like that. But, but options, always parents want options. I, mean, I always remember in D.C. when Obama became president, one of the first things he did was take away D.C. school choice. And all these African-American families were going crazy. They said, what are you doing? We, we, we don't want to go to the local school. We want the school choice. And so school choice is universally popular. Now, does this, are you still taxing for education and then reimbursing through this program? Is anybody able to yes. get it who has a student? How does it, how does, what's nuts and bolts? How does this work? You get I'm hoping it this will be a model a for other states. You, okay, yeah, you get it uh, if you have a student. And I'm sorry right. I've got to jump off now here within oh, 60 seconds and oh. drive to Phoenix. But, um, we'll pick it up next time. The, the, yeah, the essence of it is you pay taxes mm-hmm. anyway. This is you keeping some of your money, as it were, uh, to okay. send your child, depending on his wants, needs, or desires, and, and the family's, uh, to the school that's best suited for him. So okay. let, i got to jump off, everybody. Do follow me on uh, all the alternate platforms. My, my handle is at Wendy Rogers AZ for Arizona, at Wendy Rogers AZ. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Senator Rogers. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And okay. hopefully we can talk uh, probably uh, after the election maybe. 
Okay, good. God bless everybody. Bye-bye. God bless you too. Bye now. All right. Wow. Actually, we got a little more time than I expected. We got about 40 minutes. Uh, uh, usually here interviews are about 20 or 30, but uh, I, you know, if people want to talk longer, I'm more than happy to, to accommodate so we can do that. That was fascinating. And I'd never talked to her before uh, on the, on the show. I mean, uh, we, we talked off the air, but it's just, it's, it's fascinating, you know, especially as you get to know, you know, some of these folks. And it's interesting. We are uh, doing some pretty incredible things here. I think at action radio, I think people should take notice. They're noticing what we're doing. They're, they're coming on the show. They're telling us what they're doing, you know, and, you know, if Senator Rogers, you know, likes what we're doing here, maybe she will mention us to President Trump one day. I mean, who knows? You don't know. You know, maybe we can work on a bill, something that uh, uh, is going on. I really like this empowerment scholarship account. I think that's something that we could very easily uh, adapt in Florida here. So I have uh, our own representative um, that I talk to fairly frequently, Michelle Salzman, who's here. Uh, she's in the next district over, but I got to know her through uh, uh, our representative, Matt Gates, who I hope will come back on the show too. And so maybe we could do something like this in Florida. And this is how legislation works. So, uh, you know, we don't, at Action Radio, I have no interest in writing legislation for something that's already been done and being done well, you know, in another state or even in our state as a model. So a lot of times the best legislation, you know, there's lots of people that have good ideas. And so what you want to do is you want to take those good ideas and implement them. So this empowerment scholarship um, account, this ESA that just passed in Arizona uh, is the perfect thing for Florida. In fact, I'll, uh, I'll talk to Michelle about that and see if that's something that we can introduce here with, uh, you know, Governor DeSantis and our state legislature. That's really all I had today. So I don't even stopping a little bit early uh, unless someone wants to call in or see if we have live chat. I totally missed, <laughs> I missed the live chat while I was talking to, uh, to Wendy Rogers, but uh, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, she got my undivided attention. So it doesn't look like anybody typed in a question and uh, we're doing, we're doing well. So like I say, I've got, um, trust me on this when I say, listen tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow's going to be a fascinating day. Uh, we've got a lot of our regular folks. We're going to start an hour later. We're going to start at seven o'clock instead of six o'clock. So seven o'clock uh, central time. So that'd be eight Eastern, seven central. And uh, just trust me on this when I say hang up for the show. Uh, it's going to be quite fascinating, but I was really glad to have uh, Senator Rogers on. And I really don't have, well, let me just see what I can play for you here. Got a few extra minutes. Play something you haven't heard before or haven't heard from in a while. Let me, uh, do I want to do Matt Gates' last interview with us? Uh, we actually wrote a bill. It was quite fascinating. Or maybe I'll save that. Uh, how much time have I got? Do I want to play with Walter Williams? That's not one of my favorites. I got some favorite interviews here. Yeah, I'll tell you what I'll do um, for the first time in a long time because we've been running overtime so much. I think I'll stop this one a little early. I really wanted to uh, talk to Senator Rogers for however long she had to talk to us. But uh, since we don't have calls and since you're all listening or doing other things or it's later in the morning approaching lunchtime, then this has been a pleasure. It's been fun to uh, to be able to have this much time to present that, that whole thing on Restoring America from the Washington Examiner. And again, I'll probably maybe I'll call him right after the show. Who knows? You know, that would be uh, – uh, a very interesting thing to do. So thank you for listening. Uh, our websites here are blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. That's where you find all our shows. Back to the original, four years ago, coming up on our four-year anniversary, uh, December 24th. So Christmas Eve, we started in 2018, and so it'll be Christmas Eve again. Uh, will be our anniversary show here uh, as well. And our, our legislative website, writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, Write Your Laws. Dot com and where you're going to find our uh, our legislation that you should submit or that you find that you can submit to uh, to Congress to the state legislatures to the local governments that you'll find uh, you click on legislation and then you scroll down to all proposed laws so the way the site works it's actually very simple homepage read the homepage it'll give you all the background you need and a template for writing your own bill 
the next section of is legislation. The first section is propose a new law, and that's where you write your bill. Okay. After that is citizen bill ideas. That's our workshop. That's where we work on bills. It's like our committee. It's like our committee hearing. People do public comments. We talk about the bills on the air. When they're ready to go, they go to all proposed laws. From all proposed laws, that's where you, you pick the laws that you, you think should go into place. You submit them to the appropriate legislature and lobby it and get your group behind it, get your friends behind it, get your company behind it, you know, support us here at Action Radio and, and do what you want. So you can file a bill at writeyourlaws.com. When you write one, if it's a decent bill, um, I'm going to get in touch with you and have you on the show to talk about it. That's how it works. And then if we need to work on it, we'll do more work, and then away we go. And if I, if I really like what you have to say, <laughs> like I did with Amber, I gave her a report, you know, the Constitution report. Uh, and uh, Or Linda, who uh, wrote a bill on, on banning drug advertising, got her to work on that with Judy Mikovits. So things happen here. Things happen fast here. Things happen crazily here. You never know. But uh, right now, uh, I'm looking for some more reporters, and I have a lot of work to do uh, in that regard. So that's pretty much it. Let's see if I can leave you with uh, anything uh, that might be kind of fun here on the way out. Uh, play that, play that, play that, play that, play that, play that. Play a lot of things. I think we're kind of out. You know. So, uh, so there we go. Well, this, this is kind of uh, in, inspiring. I'll leave a little piece of music, and I'll see you all tomorrow at 7 a.m. Not 6, 7 a.m. Central Time. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.